begehen, geil. We are back on the Pizza Podcast. Today, we have a really special guest. I'm so honored and happy to have this guy on. We got Lou Cresci. Lou Cresci is from uh, the Rosa Grande division of Hormel Pepperonis. They make those delicious cup and chart things going on. Um, but he's also a New York legend and his family and everything, you know, he, uh, his father started Creasy's, or your grandfather started Creasy's, uh, legendary restaurant in Williamsburg, a lot of history on it, uh, was in Williamsburg for 96 years, um, I can't even keep track of loose cousins, like, they span around the country, and some Absolutely. of the most legendary people ever, uh, including the great John Arena, who you guys all know, yeah. Real great to have you here. Thanks, Thanks. for coming Nino, on, brother. It's a pleasure and honor to be on your show. I appreciate podcast. it. Thank I you for having it. me. Appreciate it. No problem. So, um, let's uh, here. Let's fix this mic. Let's do it like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, man. Where do you want to start? You All right. To... Well, you know, let's start when my family came from Italy. Yeah, okay? absolutely. My grandfather came in Italy, and my grandmother back in 1902. So I come from a very old family. Um, so I'm the youngest, I'm 63 years old. So my grandfather came to America and we had nine children. Some were born in America, some were born in Italy because they traveled back and forth. Really? A little bit. So when my grandfather first started, he came to Brooklyn and Williamsburg on Lorma Street in Consolier, right off of Metropolitan Avenue. Okay. Uh, he started importing olive oil, just like a movie that you've probably seen, uh, and also sold produce on horse and buggy throughout the neighborhood, so on and so forth. And then uh, as things got better and better and they started earning and making some money, my grandmother decided to open up a little coffee shop, cafe, Italian style in the front of the, and in the back was the horses and carriages in the barns and so on and so forth. Oh, okay. So she started doing that. She started doing a little panini sandwiches, so on and so forth. So after they started doing that and was getting very popular and busy, my grandfather said, the heck with this importing olive oil and selling produce. I want to own a restaurant, open a restaurant. So that's what they did. They um, got sold the business. He kept the building. Uh, in the back where the horses and carriages were, they made the restaurant. And that's how Creasy's Restaurant uh, started in uh, fruition in, in business in Brooklyn and Waynesburg. Creasy's Restaurant was in business for 92 years. So um, I was pretty much born there. Um, we were a very successful Italian restaurant. Everybody and everybody knew us. In fact, uh, one story was, it was a write-up in the Daily News in, uh, years ago, and they were saying everybody that went to Creasy's was either a mobster, a movie star, or just a Catholic priest, <laughs> Senator D'Amato, <laughs> so on and so forth, to Monsignor from Mount Carmel, yeah. and, and local people. So, you know, 150 seats, you know, four tables of this, four tables of that, chiefs of police, so on and so forth. So the place was a lot of fun, a lot of a lot of interesting things. Let me rewind it back real quick. So, mm -hmm. um, um, so was your, I guess it would be your grandmother, because you said you had some of the brothers and sisters were in Italy. So, was your grandfather coming to work here and sending money back? Right, and then my and they traveled. My grandmother stayed back. Right, she came here for X amount of time, went back again. I was just so, actually yeah. watching something about that. It was a very common thing back then, and it was. Um, they would call those women who their husbands were in America uh, making money and sending it back. They right. would call them white widows. Okay. Uh, because it was like, you know, the husband wasn't around, but, you know. Yeah, that's not. cool. That's yeah. cool. Um, yeah, so Creasy. So, I mean, tell, like, 
tell me what it was about. Like, cause uh, I mean, Cresci. we were having dinner the other day and you know, we just mentioned Creasy's and two people behind us start going, wait, Creasy's restaurant in Williamsburg. So, right. I mean, I guess I'm a little young for it. I don't really remember, but before I mean, your time, can you bring me back? Can yeah, you, that yeah. was a great dinner, by the way. We're at Victorio's in yeah. Amityville with Mike. Yes, uh, and what a host he was! It was fantastic, unbelievable, I, I, right? What, and a great restaurant. I rec highly recommend that restaurant yeah. to anybody. So that's pretty cool that we you were telling Mike about my history with being creepy, so on and so forth, and then the couple next to us said, "Excuse me, we're not listening to your conversation, but you mentioned creepies." We used to go there all the time. My father loved the place, the best Italian place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 100%. It yeah. was crazy. So, so basically in our neighborhood in Williamsburg, we were uh, two main Italian restaurants there. And I have to shout out to Bamonti's, a great family. 100%. God bless them. They're still there. They're hard workers. So it was either people went to Crescis or they went to Bamonti's. So um, it was, you know, back then, it was you didn't have a lot of choices in a sense. There was uh, all these different, you know, taco restaurants, fried chicken restaurants, all these different restaurants. It's basically, it was Italian restaurants was the main focus, pizzerias mm -hmm. and, and Chinese takeout and diners. That was right. the choices back then. So everybody, you know, went to regular restaurants. So uh, at Crescis, we were, we were unbelievable. I mean, I'll I tell you a funny story. I was dating my wife, Denise. And we're in Creasy's, sitting in the dining room. And I said to her, I said, you got to turn around. You won't believe who was behind you. So she goes, nah, come on, who? Who's over there? I said, no, nah, turn around. She turns around, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Wow. Yeah, so, you know, he, he and what a great guy he is. And know? what year is that around? That was think? probably like 1976, 77. Wow, that's nuts. Yeah, so we had a high influx of a lot of celebrities that came into Creasy's. Um, I mean, I'd sit at the bar and have drinks with Farrah Fawcett sometimes. I mean, it's just amazing the amount of people. And uh, Al D'Amato was a very big customer of ours, a senator at D'Amato. Right. Very big customer of ours. And, you know, Creche's was unique that it was a real old-school Italian restaurant. And we talked about this the other night at Victorio's. Mm. We made all our homemade pasta. Raviolis, manigottis, everything from scratch, tagliatelle noodles, gnocchis, everything from scratch, okay? All the meats, okay, when you look at veal. Today's day and age, they buy top rounds, cap off, they slice it up, boom, that's their veal. Go sure, pound it out. Pound it out, da-da-da. We bought the best quality products, milk-fed veal. We bought the whole sides. I was telling Mike that we had the kidneys still hanging on there with the also book of the legs and everything. Oh. So we had a full butcher shop in the basement of Crescis. That's, That's what made us unique and different that a lot of people didn't do and still don't do. Right. Okay. So we butchered our own meat downstairs. We had a chef, Luigi Maiuglio. He worked on the cruise ships out of Naples, Italy. Really? Yeah. So he came over to America, became our head chef, and he was with us for about 47 years. Jesus. Yeah. That's, you don't hear stories like that no. anymore. You don't see that. So we would break down a whole side of, 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 of veal every day and we had a full butcher shop downstairs. Luigi would take me down there and butcher the whole thing up. And that's how I learned. Right. I didn't go to a fancy school, so on and so forth, like some of these guys do. They read a book and they think they're a chef. Sure. I had the knife in my hand and I cut it and I learned and made a lot of mistakes. But And we break down the whole leg. Mm -hmm. you know? Then we used to have shell steaks. We aged our own shell steaks down in the basement. We had two coolers downstairs. If you're a restaurant guy, you can understand what I'm talking about. We had a wooden cooler, which was the old-fashioned cooler, and then we had a modernized aluminum cooler and with a freezer. We didn't use the freezer much because everything was fresh. Um, 
So we would hang the meat in the wooden box because the, the, the way it bred, breathed it and, and the air circulation, so on and so right. forth, you want to keep low humidity to age these snakes really the right way where you get the green mold on it and you cut them, shave them off and, and get to the meat that you're going to be edible. So we did all that. It was took a lot of time, a lot of time. What, like back then, was that like, you know, the aging of the meat thing? Was that almost like a state secret? Like uh, people didn't really know about that. They didn't back know then. about it. You know, yeah. you might know one restaurant that's uh, pretty popular that's in the same neighborhood, neighborhood as Peter Lucas. Yeah. So they, to me, they're the one and only best steak restaurant that I, I like, probably impartial because they were almost neighbors to us. Yeah. But they, they basically were the dry age steakhouse and and then you got the old homestead and some others in manhattan sure 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 uh but that's for italian restaurants if you've seen the amount of steaks that we sold you would never believe that we're an italian restaurant right right well i mean i mean it's starting like the more i'm doing history about like the italian american experience and the diaspora it starts to make a lot of sense because these guys are escaping like poverty that you can't that we can barely imagine the way that we live today and it's like you had no meat and then all of a sudden you come to america and there's meat it's you know more or less affordable you know the, the flour is affordable so what are you gonna do you're gonna be like oh I, I can have steak now this is you know amazing this is why they say like the this country the streets are paved with gold it was paved with you know people not starving to death they're having like low calorie diets you know what i mean Right. Um, right. And you know what, you know, when we cut that veal and we cut that, you know, we cut all the bones, you know, today's day and age, they buy, like I said earlier, they buy the cap round, they cap uh, off, they slice it, pound it, make veal scallopini, and they're making veal parmigiano or whatever like that. So now when we buy the whole side, we got all the bones. We don't, like you said, back in the old days, we didn't throw anything away. No, you can't. So you know why? Because we made the gravies, the sauce, sauces, the brodettes, everything was stock. We made with the bones, so on and so forth. Even when we cut a leg of prosciutto, I would bone out the prosciutto and take that uh, bone and use it for pasta vajul right. uh, soup. And then also take the skin off and use parts of that skin for the soup also. So everything had a part and a place where you utilized everything, every piece of the animal. 100%, and like that's, you know, it's probably rare. Like, I mean, it sounds like you had like a really amazing chef who was trained and knew what he was doing, which is probably right. a rare thing. I mean, it's even a rare thing today. You go to an Italian restaurant, a lot of these places, the guys that open it, like they're not trained in nothing. This guy, no, sounds like, he, I mean, uh, from already what you said, he's using a lot of the same techniques. Um, one of my favorite things about Monty's that you don't see too often is that, you know, that bone-in giant veal chop. Did you guys used to do that, too? Yeah, we did the same thing, yeah. absolutely. And we sold in a tremendous amount of veal chops also. Even pork chops were very big. We sold pork chops and vinegar peppers like I had at Victorio's the other night. That's right. old school. Not many people know about that, and it's not on a lot of menus anymore. But the And also, when you look at the veal chops, who's cutting them, filleting them, bread, pan searing them? and frying them like that it's very right. f few and far in between so like tell me some neighborhood stories tell me some good oh stories gosh, from neighborhood stories. i know you've got a million of them like <laughs> well those, the problem is which ones can i tell you <laughs> yeah 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 tell the ones you can tell forget uh, the ones you can't tell so uh you know we were in the nine four precinct yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah police department board. and uh so it's pretty cool that um we had chiefs of police the mayor of new york city whoever was the mayor ate in our restaurant. Uh, like I said, a lot of mob guys, so on and so forth. So we were on the uh, so-called police list, do not enter 
the premises because we had a lot of people that were mob influenced or mobs type of guys that would come in and eat and dine sure. so on and so forth but i gotta say one thing thank god my father and my uncles and either myself and my brothers we never entertained that lifestyle good you know so that's one thing i want to make clear but um you know so the thing about the 9-4 precinct the regular cops would call up and order dinner mm-hmm. you know the patrol guys they pull up in the patrol car and they they can't come in. We, my, our bartender, you said, oh, the cops are here for their dinner. Right, right, right. But they weren't allowed to come in because they were yeah, creatures because, was off limits. Back in sure. the days, they put the place off limits. That meant no, you know, uniformed cops could come in. Right, but, but meanwhile, the they're picking. But out. yeah, listen to this. So yeah. meanwhile, poor guys in the summertime, you're sitting in the car in your uniform, and the chief of police or inspectors are in there drinking bottles of wine and having a great meal, <laughs> <laughs> and we're putting the veal parmesan in a tin and bringing it out to them. So Sounds that's, like old New that's York. a cool story. Yeah. And then we had, you know, um, we had a guy named Arthur that was a neighborhood guy. If uh, people who know the area, if you, if, if I'm talking about Arthur, they know who I'm talking about. So Arthur, you know, the, a lot of those guys they come out at night. They sleep all day. Mm-hmm. So Arthur used to come in a restaurant, sit in a corner, at the same spot all the time. And we had another gentleman, Jimmy Knapp, passed away enough so long ago, and uh, he used to be inside one of the tables in the corner. So Arthur would come in and him and Jimmy do some business, so on and so forth. But Arthur, in all respect, due respect, he was he was a pain in the ass, mm-hmm. okay? He drank glasses of beer all night, and then he owned a video store on the corner of Metropolitan Avenue and Lomber Street. Like a video rental store? Yeah, video rental store. Like before Blockbuster yeah, and uh, yeah. Hollywood had Video. That. Arthur had that. So. We closed down the restaurant, and, you know, we used to be in there at 9 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And by the time we calmed down in that restaurant, it would be 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm. Then you got to clean up, da-da-da. Got a few hagglers hanging out, da-da-da. And we didn't treat our restaurant as a bar. We treated it more as a restaurant. The bar was just a stop to have a drink before they sat down and ate dinner. Or if they came out, they um, had one drink and left. We never treated it as a bar. We didn't have a neighborhood hangout. You know, we left that to my cousin, Junior's. Okay, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Junior's, you know, Junior, juniors. you go there yeah. all the time, right? Yeah, and rest ju- in peace, Junior. <laughs> yeah, God yeah. bless, right? Yeah, man. Uh, but uh, my father baptized Junior. Oh, really? Yeah, my father I, was Junior's godfather. I, I, I felt like so privileged to be able to, like, spend the, you know, the time, the few years that I spent with him. And, you know, his his son is taking on the reins yeah. and, you know, it's funny. he's keeping it alive. It's like the, yeah, man, it's like the last spot somehow the hipsters though to stay the fuck out of there well back uh, in the day i don't know if you know the story about juniors juniors no women came in yeah that was a lot of bars ferals okay. and yeah i mean i i don't know now if they're starting the yuppies are in the neighborhood now they're starting to let the women in now you but back can, in the 70s well, there's old there's old okay. women there's women from the neighborhood that come in now you yeah can, you can so back then uh <laughs> you know when when we were hanging out and going in there and stuff after work or whatever you know women they were never in there Mm. Never. And if if a woman was looking for a boyfriend or a husband, they come to the front to the door, the only door, not the back side door. And they come in, they put their head in there and say, hey, Nino, is Nino in there? Come, blah, blah, blah. And that's right. it. That was, they knew it was off limits. Funny thing. Yeah, no, I, I, I was actually, um, Farrell's was, I think, the last bar in New York to actually uh, like okay. like allow women in. Well, 
it was weird. So it was women weren't allowed at the bar. Women were allowed to come in, but you had to be married and they had to sit in the booths like with their husbands. And oh, wow. I talked to these guys. I was like, well, why wouldn't you let women in? And, and the guy explained it to me. He was like, listen, Nino, you got to understand it was a different time. And what would happen is, you know, if you had a woman in there who maybe she's cheating on her husband or maybe she's with a married guy or something like that, yeah, and on. people see that in the neighborhood, you're going to have a shooting, you're going to have a stabbing, you're going to have a baseball bat. So it wasn't that like, it wasn't a thing where you didn't want a woman or, uh, like necessarily because of that. You just didn't want trouble. And, right, you right. know, so the married women would go sit at the booths with their husbands once in a while, but at the bar, and they didn't even have seats. They said, if you can't, uh, like, seats at the bar. They said, if you're too Stand drunk up. where you need to sit, you've had yeah. too many P's and Q's, pints and courts. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, different worlds, different so, worlds. So just to close, finish the story about uh, Arthur. So Arthur be sitting there. Now, you're looking at 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm. Everybody's gone. So now me and my brother are looking at each other and we're saying, all right, whose turn is it to go home first? And right, right, stay right. Here with Arthur. Sure. You could not throw Arthur out. Right. That was, uh, forget it would, about it. So it would get sense. very upset. Yeah, very upset. Long and short of it, we're stuck there till five, six in the morning. Sure. You know, with him. Then we have to walk him home. We live right next door. Uh -huh. Then you had to walk him home, make sure he got home, okay? Yeah. And then you go upstairs, so on and so forth. But uh, stories, what kind of stories? So, um, well, let me ask you a question about because I know uh, I think what was it? Jimmy Knapp's son wrote a book. Yeah, my Jimmy Knapp. Jimmy Knapp, who was uh, with the Genovese family with yeah. uh, the chin out in uh, you know the man the guy who walked around with the robe on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. West Village. Right. So he was a captain in that organization. But uh, you know, back then in in those days, the mob guys were not what they are today or what they wanted to be. They were basically loan sharkers. Numbers, guys, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, so um, Jimmy Knapp was actually the number one earner for loan sharking and number gang in the country. Okay. Wow. So he earned so much money that he actually paid all families. So everybody earned off him. Nobody ever bothered him. He was well respected. He died a gentleman. He was a true gentleman. So um, he has a son, T.N., Okay, and then he had another Tony, son, Tony Knapp, Tony Knapp yeah. which is Tony Knapp. Big guy, he's about, he's probably 6'5". He's a monster. Yeah. He was in the uh, in the Golden Gloves. He was uh, also a fighter in the Air Force, I think he was in, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. He was a knock-around guy, tough guy. So when he, when his father passed away, um, we call guys, certain guys, like a cowboy. TN was a little bit like a cowboy. He just did what he wanted. Okay. A lot of times, Jimmy didn't, want him to do the things he did. So, but Jimmy protected him. It was his son. I don't know. Nobody bothered him because he was Jimmy's son. And we all used to say, sure. God forbid when Jimmy goes, what's going to happen to Tian? Right. Long and short of it, he, th he thrived. He, he, he did okay. So he wrote a book. Uh, he was a very bad alcoholic. He got sober um, in the um, VA hospital. Okay. He was in their program. He got sober. And then he wrote a book about his father, My Father, My Don. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is the name uh, of the I've book. never read the book, unfortunately. I, uh, I yeah. gotta, I gotta put it on uh, the reader. I've seen it because you know when you go to the Jillio Boys Club, he was from right. the neighborhood, so you see it around. We got a picture of Jimmy, I think, uh, hanging out at Krispies. But um, yeah, so uh, Krispies, Krispies. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Krispies. Oh my god, I'm like, I'm like going nuts. Uh, pepperoni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I. 
Creechies. Yeah. So okay. So this uh, yeah, what's this going photo on here? here is back from the early mid fifties, I would say. So we got my father up here. Is a Salvatore Pete? We call him Pete Creechy. And there's Jimmy Knapp right there in the center. My uncle Cy up there. My uncle Charlie over here. And this is some knock around guys here. But look how the old uh, bar was. We didn't even have a regular bar. It was just. Uh, bottles in a, uh, a glass cabinet back in the day. Yeah, it looks like, I mean, it looks like you guys were slinging a lot of alcohol. It looks like everybody was drinking. Yeah, it was a fun place. It was a good place. Yeah. And this, so, is, this is my cousin, Armando. He wound up staying with us for his whole life and was awaited all his whole lifetime. Right. So, so um, yeah, this... Uh, I can tell you a funny, yeah, a funny tell story. I'll tell you a story about Tian. <laughs> Tian had the club across the street. Yeah, what was it called? Uh, the Motion City, not that no, one. That was right. his that father. Was the, that was uh, that was Jimmy's the Motion Lounge. Okay, that was Jimmy's. Oh, that was Jimmy's. But then what? It became Sonny's later because that's in that movie and everything. Yeah, kind well, of, it was, so. and yeah it's yeah. kind of. I don't know. I I don't really. I know yeah. it has differently. You know, as the yeah. movies. Movies not always the one hundred percent. No, one hundred percent. But Tian was a crazy guy. So long and short, this is not a. This is a sad story, and this is what made him start going to sobriety. Um, his daughter was dating a, a guy, and uh, daughter came home, and, and the daughter said, "Dad, you know, so and so was giving me a hard time. He was like, you know, wanted right. to kiss me, and they wanted to do this, that." And I told him, "No, no, stop, stop, stop." So Tian got pissed off, you know. So uh, Tian says, "Tell him to come here tomorrow. I want to see him." Uh -huh. That's how he talked, you know. Very big guy, very scary guy. If you didn't know him. Um, so the boyfriend goes to that the next day. They go in front of the club, right on the street. Tn gave this guy a kid a beating, like no tomorrow. Because don't you ever talk to my daughter or do what you did to my daughter again. Sure. Meanwhile, he takes a knife out and he sliced him. Tn sliced him. Yeah. Drops, Where? Drops the knife between the two legs. Oh, that's not fun. Tien drops the knife, sat there, and waited for the cops. That's when he got arrested. That's when he he pleaded a deal with them. Crazy insanity. Right. Put me in the VA hospital. He had great lawyers. They put him in the VA hospital. That's when he became sober. And then, oh, okay. And when he got out of there, that's when he wrote the book. It's a little Tien so, story. So what year? What year? What year is the book written? I guess it's older than I think, right? No, the book is old. Yeah, it's actually new for you. You know, it's it came out. I think, gosh. Um, we're in 2022. It's probably like 16, 17 years ago he wrote the book. Really, really. And yeah, so um, he was wanted to make it a movie, mm -hmm. and and they made a little short film of it, and had some guys in there, and uh, he had me playing my father. Oh, really? Yeah. So once the movie was going to come out, it never got picked up. He st was still working on it, and so I was going to play the part of my father in the movie. So, which it was pretty cool. I was excited about that, but unfortunately, it never came to fruition. Uh, Tian passed away about two years ago. Yeah, I think about two years. But ago. you were telling me at dinner that um, <clears throat> Tony Danza played you in that Brooklyn so, State of yeah, Mind. So, thing. another movie that's out there is called The Brooklyn State of Mind, starring Danny. I remember Ayala. when it came out. I bought it like you know on the street. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Uh, when the, yeah. we used to buy the DVDs on the street, yeah. I was like, oh, let me check this out. I love so, Danny Aiello. So they f actually filmed the movie. Here's oh, yeah, there got, it is. You got a front cover of the yeah. DVD it was uh, Vinny Spano was in it, Maria Grazie Cucinata, Daniello, Tony Danza, Daniello's son, 
Uh, Vincent Pastore was in the movie. movie. Right. Uh, Abe Vigoda was in the movie. A lot of a lot of stars was in that movie. It was a great movie. Yeah. And long and short of it, um, Tony Danza, if you see oh, here, yeah. he has a character. He played that me. Was, that was you in the other picture. Go back to that other picture. You got it? Young Brady's messing up, bro. Yeah, we're gonna have to it's fire his him. computer, man. Oh, oh blame it on the equipment. Oh, yeah. Blame it on the equipment. <laughs> but the, but Tony, so when they filmed the Brooklyn State while he's getting that up, all right. Well, here I am yeah, at the bar. So there, there's you at the bar, and then we got another clip of Tony at the bar. Yeah, I think. Yeah, do we have that? Tony playing them. So, so how did that like play out? They were using like they, free cheese. They, yeah, as they like, rented. They rented a restaurant. Um, we rented it to them. It took them about two weeks. They filmed a lot of scenes from the outside and many, many scenes from the inside. That's my father and my uncle Cy back oh, in the day wow. before we redid the bar. Look That's at what, the Coca Cola, the old uh, yeah. whatever the bottle yeah. is. Oh so, yeah, there so, it is. So there's Tony Dan's. I don't know how you know if you can make it a little bigger, but he actually you see he's got a checkbook opened up there and he's looking at some checks underneath the bar there was a shelf and that's where we kept the, the checkbook and our cash box <laughs> oh really so he actually winged that and just grabbed it and make believe he was like paying bills and writing checks sure 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 so it's legit that he was even looking at our checkbook and was that movie was it kind of like based on something true it was or based it was on, a on a fictional mob movie okay. uh, where uh daniel was running the neighborhood it was almost like a something like what jimmy knapp did you know hmm. but it was what not wasn't even a little tiny bit of it was like what Jimmy Knapp right. did. So, so they, Jimmy Knapp basically what in our neighborhood, you know, he did his business, whatever he did it outside the neighborhood, so on and so forth. But just like some of the old fashioned movies that you see out there, they took care of the neighborhood. Uh huh. Okay. Jimmy Knapp legitimately took care of the neighborhood. So it was kind of a thing like you don't ship where you eat. So where right. he was doing that kind of thing, it right. was a different place. And then he comes home and you know, you can be the family man, you know, whatever you exactly. Do. So, um, when Jimmy, you know, I can't tell you how many sit downs or some old women would come in, neighborhood women with their dress on and their apron still on from the kitchen. Mm. Would come over crying, I gotta talk to Jimmy, talk to Jimmy, you know. Jimmy said, yeah, come sit down, we sit down. They didn't have money for rent or the real one wanted to raise their rent, just like a movie. Yeah. And Jimmy used to take care of them. He used to, you know, it was back then it was three, $400 for rent back then. Right. You know, in the mid seventies, you know. And Jimmy used to help them out and give it to them. Sure. Amazing. He never asked for a penny back and he didn't want nothing back from him. Yeah. You know, it, it was really incredible. You know, the kindness that he had. And that's why when Jimmy Breslin from the daily news wrote an article, when Jimmy died, a true gentleman and Jimmy was a true gentleman for a yeah. mob type of man. I'm definitely, I didn't know any of this. I'm definitely, I want to, now I really want to read the book and look more into this. I kind of, you know, I just got into reading books recently. Okay. I've been out of the book game for a long time. I'm a freaking Momo, <laughs> but now I read like at least one or two books a week. Um, so yeah. So like, I mean, all this stuff is so, you know, what? just something that popped into my head. Um, that, you know, I, I was lucky enough when I was a kid to see like one instance of this, but like, you know, talking about old school Italian things, the pigeon coops and Upstairs. I in, down here in Bushwick, you know, a couple stops up. Um, I was staying back in the day. I was staying with some, I think I was dating some girls. She worked for the airlines. She had like this loft apartment up there and the building super, he was an old Italian guy and he had the, you know, his pigeon coops up there and they used to flag them. You know yeah. what I mean? And these guys, there was another guy down the block who had a pigeon coop, and these guys would get into street fights 
over the well, because the one would flag his pigeons into the other flock to try to you know because steal then they get pigeons. mixed up and steal the pigeons and some of those pigeons can be worth a lot of those money. Those pigeons would travel to out of state to a certain area and the guy would go pick them up and bring them back. Jesus, did you ever it's see that? that? I've seen to... them around. We didn't do it. We, we had a nice. Uh, we owned the building. We had four apartments. My uncle okay. Sai lived up there. And he had a nice, we had a nice patio set up for my uncle Sai, so he went out on the weekend, you know, whatever. He had free time, but we didn't have time for that. My father, and my uncles didn't have time for none of that. Right. And also, a funny thing about Krishis, we never had other than my grandmother when my grandfather and grandmother came here. There's never been another woman that worked there. Really. We only had men waiters, men people were never any women working. Why is that? It, I think it was just old school. You know, yeah. a woman belonged home, taking care of the family, raising families, and. That, you know, back then the women, a lot of women didn't work back then. How many, uh, yeah. how many brothers and sisters do you have? I have five of us, and uh, there's three still left. Uh, I'm a 63. I have a brother, 64, and a sister at 73. I have an older brother, Vincenzo. He passed away. My other uh, older sister, Virginia, has passed away already. Deepest condolences. Thank you. you know? Thank you. Um, Thank you. So a lot like, of stories. Did they all, I guess they all worked at the restaurant? No, not really. Well? Just um, okay. the girls never worked in the restaurant. It was just me, my brother, and my other, you know, the three oh, of us. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah your brothers, yeah, just, you guys yeah. all worked. And yeah. what were you guys mainly doing? Were so, you bartending or waiting or? Okay, my brother, Peter, he was out on the floor. He was a waiter. Mm -hmm. Okay. And my brother, Vincenzo, he was more of the front of the house. Uh, he stayed there in the, in the daytime, and he, he ran the business in a sense, helped my father with ordering product, getting deliveries, so on and so forth. You know, every day there's something new going on, so on and so forth. So, and I was in the kitchen. Okay. Okay, so uh, I, I held many positions in the kitchen, but mainly I uh, on the line as the pasta guy uh, with the pasta chef and, and, and did a lot of appetizers, so on and so forth. Um, like I said, we made homemade pasta every day. You know, uh, between uh, tagliatelle noodles, I said, uh, gnocchis and this and that. I mean, a million different things. Do you uh, remember, like, any of the pairings that you guys were doing that with? Like, We didn't marinara? do pairings. Everything was a la carte. Okay. Right, so, but I'm saying if you did the tagliatelle, what kind of sauce well, would it we used, be? Okay, yeah, stuff like I'm that? sorry. So tagliatelle was mainly filetto di pomodoro. Okay. Okay, filetto di pomodoro, our way that we would do it was we sauteed onions, mm -hmm. okay, and then made julienne strips of prosciutto. Okay. And threw them in there and sauteed that a little bit. Hit it with a little white wine and and used a whole peeled Italian tomatoes inside. And we cooked, you know, salt and pepper. Pretty basic. No garlic. Because you wanted the sweetness of the onions and you wanted the saltiness of the prosciutto. Mm. And that was the main one, the main item that we did with the tagliatelle. And then we also have the alfredos or some, stuff like that. But the filetto di pomodoro with the tagliatelle noodles were pretty much the number one way tagliatelles were served. Where, where does the Alfredo thing come from? Because I know when I was coming up, like a lot of people would say like, oh, that's not Italian or whatever they well, would you know, say. My, but my mother's family is from Panama. So, uh, you know, growing up in my household on my mother's side, it was more of the risottos and the creams and, and so on and so forth. So I, I believe Alfredo pretty much originated out of the northern part of Italy versus my father being from Naples area, Nabilinan, more of the tomato sauce, so on and so forth. In fact, my my mother my father used to yell at my mother you know make tomato sauce once in a while right, <laughs> gravy, right right you know whatever you want to call it some say sauce some say gravy you know so they used to fight all the time about it It was pretty cool pretty what do you different. guys say you say sauce or you say gravy I say sauce you say sauce I say sauce too but I started I'm starting it really is our gravy 
Well, I understand where the gravy thing came from. I talked to some, a lot of older, older people that grew up like calling it gravy and kind of what it was, was, you know, you had, especially like the generation from the first diaspora, um, from the 1880s to the 1920s, you know, you had a lot of people that like, they just really wanted to assimilate into America. They didn't, they stopped speaking Italian and it was like, you know, you'd have your American friends over and they, you know, they, they'd be like, what's that? And gravy, I don't think you should ever call, um, you know, a marinara sauce without meat gravy because it's the meat-based sauce, the Sunday sauce is what they would call gravy because, you know, when you were With cooking a long time, it would turn like a deeper red, almost like going towards brown, but not quite. And then it's like when you describe that to an American, it's like, what do you, it's like, this is like gravy. You know right, what I mean? Right. You put yeah, it on your right, meat, right. you put it on your stuff, and it's like gravy. Great way to put you it. Know? Great way to put it. So, oh, yeah, go ahead. So, and the marinara sauce is just a fresh sauce with garlic and a lot of basil, salt, and pepper. Okay, so it's in the marinara. Quick sauce. We did. Some people put onions. Some people don't. Right. Excuse me. We never put onions. It was just basic. You know. You want to taste the tomatoes, the freshness of the sweetness of the basil and the garlic. You know. Got it. And no, that makes perfect sense. Like, I mean, I sometimes do both. I sometimes do. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I under. So with the filete di pomodoro, no garlic, just onions. And then and it's like the prosciutto. Yeah. So you, you don't want to mix them because you're trying to accent like a certain flavor. It actually right. makes a lot of sense. Right. And then, and like I was saying earlier, our menu was pretty cool, and it's not done anymore this way much. So when people came into the restaurant, they ordered an appetizer. Mm -hmm. you know, they ordered baked clams, shrimp oreganata, whatever else we had going on you know, right. for appetizers, and uh, even a bowl of soup or something like that. Then after that, they would have a pasta dish, linguine with white clam sauce, Alfred, fettuccine alfredo, manigotti, lasagna, you know, for, you know, whatever they wanted to have. Then they'd have the meat dish, the carne, right? Right. So then they have the, you know, uh, veal masala, uh, chicken franchise, veal franchise, uh, you know, also buco, uh, steak, of yeah. uh, pork chops with vinegar peppers. When I was at Victoria's, I seen that on the menu. I know. I jumped all over that. I, I mean, I got to tell you, old school, top, top, top. I used to get that um, whenever I'd go to Two Toms, which, you know, rest in peace, Two Toms restaurant in Gowanus, but that yeah. place was, you know, out of control. You just pay one price. You drink as much wine, eat as much uh, pork and veal uh, and then peppers as you want. Um, so, like, yeah, I mean, what you were talking about, you, any past, Primo Piatti, Secondi Piatti. Um, yeah, and that way, and like, go back, I mean, I just, I, I keep on talking about this stuff because I've been doing so much research, but it was like, it was, um, you know, that's how the nobility ate in Italy where, and they knew that. And so when they came to America and there was like, you know, it was like, Oh, now we can do this. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. We don't they live under this, uh, you know, oppressive, uh, feudal garbage anymore. Um, no, and, and also like, when you know, Luigi Mayuyo, I was talking earlier as our head chef, he used to come in our restaurant at seven in the morning. Mm. Okay. So our, all our sauces, and, you know, and, uh, uh, everything that we made, our stocks uh, and everything, soups, everything was made fresh every day. Right. Every day. I mean, it sounds like if you break down meat and all this stuff and you have to make these stocks, I mean, you have to get, almost get there at 7 in the morning because, you know, you got to break all this stuff down. Those things take hours and hours to do and, right. you know, so, to organize. So we used to close. We, so we had 150 seats. By 12.05, you couldn't get a seat in Crecy. The bar was packed, and it was a big industrial area back in the day. All kind of manufacturers, so on and so forth. We had Domino Sugar there. You know, you had a lot of uh, steel workers, so on and so forth. So 
all those business guys and own those businesses came to Crescies and, and Onel Pamantes. And at 5.05, you can get a seat right. in the afternoon at Crescies. And they Jesus. all ordering a la carte, no lunch menus, no pizza, no calzones, no heroes, none of that stuff. Right. Okay. And they're drinking because credit, you know, corporate America at that time was very forgiving. You know, yeah, so yeah, they yeah. drank a lot, had a lot of liquid lunches. I, you know, it's pretty cool. I, I still can't, um, you know, I was a big drinker for many, many years of my Me life. Um, and I still, you know, you watch shows like Mad Men and I would watch that stuff and be like, oh, I get it. this is how they did it. Like they, they seem successful. You could just have a whiskey uh, in the middle of the day. Like, I don't know how the hell they would do with that. And because they went if I have a whiskey business. in the middle of the day, like I'm, I'm, you know what I mean? I'm not able to function uh, anymore. And I, I mean. I, I can tell you a pizza. funny story too. We talk yeah, about modernized business. Yeah, I know, I'm not into these mics. Quick. I know you're, you're going to be all right. I just want to see your face. You so, got a beautiful so, face. Uh, thanks. <laughs> so we never took credit cards in the beginning. Okay. Back in the day. When right? did the Up credit cards credit even cards, start? I bet you we started credit cards probably was like 1980, 81. Okay. And it was my doings. I used to tell my father, we're losing, not that we're losing business. We, forget about it. It was balls to the walls at Crescies. We'd be tremendous piano numbers in that place. Right. So, it was more of a convenience for the people. So all these guys that would come in for uh, lunch and things like that, and even a lot of at night for dinner, um, we used to have house accounts. Okay. Basically like a shoebox with right. index cards, the name of that business, and you'd write there what they had, the date, what their check was, with a copy of their check, leave it in there, da-da-da-da-da. So at the end of the month, I was the one that had to go through it all, add it all up with an old-fashioned... Uh, yeah, the adding machine that you pulled yep. the lever down and it printed it on a little piece of paper. And you have the little it. green visor yeah, to go with it. Yeah, I wish I had. <laughs> so I, it was getting out of control. But we'd mail everybody their their bills, and I got to tell you what, uh, <coughs> they all sent their checks in. Never right. had a problem. So finally, my father says, "Okay, we let's get a credit. We have to get a credit card." Now, did normal people have credit cards? Or no, it was, just it was all business cash. People, it was all cash. We didn't. Well, who had credit the credit cards? cards? It started out business people, then okay. everybody had it. Right. So uh, we said, listen, when, what credit card are we going to take? Now you're going to make the decision. You're going to take a Visa, MasterCard, Diners Club, and American Express. American Express. Right. Yeah. They didn't have Discover yet, I don't yeah. think. So we thought, we looked at it all, and we said, you know what? Let's do American Express. Okay. Because back in the day, that was like the hardest card to get. You had to have a credit rating that was off the charts. Right. Da, da, da. So we figured that. We didn't want to change the element of the people, I've said to say, that would come into the restaurant. Mm -hmm. We wanted a certain type of clientele. Sure. So by getting American Express, we, 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 that's how we started. Then eventually down the road, we took it all. Right. But my father used to scream because he had to wait for the money. I still don't fucking understand. And I remember it. it was, they were still around when I was a kid. But like the old way they used to do it, they used to have that, uh, that, Thing. Yeah, pull you that slide up. it. Pull that up on the internet. That old. So How what does we that used even to do. Work? So we used to they used to write the regular guest check. Then the total said the amount was uh, one hundred and thirty dollars. Uh -huh. So you, you get an American Express thing. You, you you turn the little. There was a little metal thing that you put the credit card on, and then you put the paper card on there. With and had right. three, it printed three different ways. It had uh, three so copies. Three yeah, copies. The carbon copies. Carbon copy. yeah. I couldn't think of that word. It's so old. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you put the you write the amount, and then you slide it, and it would imprint the credit card onto the one of the copies. Okay. So it was a hard copy on the bottom, and two paper. <laughs> paper copies on the top mm -hmm. the hard card you would take it and they had special envelopes american express and you put all those into an envelope 
lick it, seal it, put it in a mailbox. It get mailed to them. They do it. They send it back to you. So now when they send it back, you got to keep a record of what's coming back. So every day we used to mail them. So, you know, it'd be like uh, 2,500, 2,600, <clears throat> 2,200. They had to keep track when they come back. It's a lot of work. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then like, well, there like, it is. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But right like, there. this is what I never understood about it is that like, I mean, what the fuck is stopping me if I'm a crafty guy from just, like, making a fake card? Like, how hard is it to make a fake card? I believe they still have those machines available to the merchants in case there's an electrical problem or a, a computer problem. That's the old school. They have to go out that way. Yeah, but, like, what's stopping guys from, like, making a fake number? Yeah, like, yeah. how would Listen, you know? A lot of guys in the neighborhood probably know how to do that. <laughs> yeah, 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 right? Look at this. Look at this. They're doing exactly. it. That's the merchant number. Is on Okay. That. Okay. That's the merchant <laughs> and, and the name of the restaurant. Look at how-to video. Yo, make this faster. Like, speed it up a little bit. Let's see what the There's hell's going the on. There's the card on top. She's going to... All right. The credit card. All right. Oh, there's the credit card. Make believe. See how she does that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like now you stick it in the machine, you know, it comes back like declined or approved. How do you know you're not oh, taking okay. all these declined? That's, that's a good question. Yeah. A good question. So every month you would get a book. Uh-huh. A book. From American Express or MasterCard or Discover or Diners Club or blah, blah, blah. Okay. And in that book would have the bad numbers. <laughs> so it was your responsibility to go look up every time you got a credit card to take that credit card number, and I think they did it by the last four numbers, so it made it easier. Okay. So it would it, it'd be a book of numbers that you'd in order, numerical order, and you would open it up, and then you would look at the number. If that number was on it, you wouldn't take that card. And you were supposed to keep that card, mail that card in, then they mailed you a $75 bonus. That, that, That's how they got the cards off sounds, the streets. That sounds like it must have taken a lot of time to just take a payment. You know what I mean? Uh, it was a lot easier having house accounts. <laughs> Could you imagine? Like, like I'm, I'm like, uh, you know, probably like the one of the last because I know my little brother. I have a brother that's um, uh, five years younger than me, and you know, he sort of remembers the pay phones and that stuff, but not really. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I was like on the cusp where I got to see like the internet was coming out. But it didn't, you know, people had it, but it didn't really do much. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when I was 16, you had the LimeWise, you could download the music. It took like, Hell you yeah. know, 12 hours to like download one song, but we thought it was the greatest thing in the it's world. The best thing but, it, you know, we would still, it was still a time where, you know, you'd go uh, to the mall. Did, did he ask permission to talk? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, Brady gets a little out of control over here. Brady's Brady a fresh points. guy, you know. <laughs> I'm a maniac. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, it would be like, you know, we'd go to the mall or we'd go out, and if we needed our parents to pick us up, we'd, like, go to run to the payphone. We'd dial 1-800-COLLECT, and it's like, yo, Ma, we're over here. Come pick us up, like, when they ask you to give the name. So then she wouldn't accept the call, but, like, she'd know to, like, come over. It's like, now we, I can't even imagine a world where... We don't have cell phones. We don't have, you know what I mean? The uh, way we do business now, the way we're able to transmit information right. and communicate. And now I can see Italy on my supercomputer and my I remember when my mother I used I to call Italy. She would call Italy and ask for a line. Bro, it was a nightmare, right? Yeah. So I was a little kid. You know, she's calling Italy. I got to, you got to wait two or three. I said, Mom, how come they didn't get on the phone? You know? 
Yeah. Oh, the operator's going to call me back when a line opens up. Right. And she'd get a call back two, three days later. The line would open up. That then she could call Italy. So it was such a. It was an instant I mean, like it is today. On my cell phone, I can call my cousins in Italy. And it doesn't cost you barely nothing, nothing. either. No. I re, even when I was a kid, um, you know, if you were in Brooklyn and you called a different area code that was considered long distance, it would cost you a fortune. They oh, would charge you like cell fifteen cents a minute. No regular phones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Regular phones. It was ten, fifteen cents a minute. Seven one eight. Yeah, if I was calling a buddy in uh, Jersey or Queens, two one two five one seven one eight. Yeah, they would charge my mother. My mother'd be like, "What the hell did you do? I just got." You know, a forty dollar phone bill from you. Um, you know that neighborhood that we, and you lived there for a good amount of years. The the amount of stars and people like and things and movies and and that come out of that neighborhood is incredible. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, everybody knows the View, mm -hmm. ABC. Barbara Walters. Sure. That. Well, Joy Behar, who was one of the stars there, it, with Whoopi, still to this day. Uh, no, I don't believe in what they preach, but anyway, she used to her aunt Sadie used to be one of our best customers, used to come in every day and eat. And Joy grew up in the neighborhood too. And she was, uh, became a school teacher. She was an English teacher. Okay. Uh, so she used to come into the restaurant all the time with her Aunt Sadie. And she used to go to Bamonte's too. She was friends with Diesel, the bartender there. Yeah, you know, yeah We all knew Diesel. each other. We all had great relationships. So anyway, uh, then she used to come into Creasy's and tell us, because then she was trying to get into stand-up comedian, to be a comedian. Okay. So we used to tell her, what are you talking about? You're going to be, you're going to be a school teacher. You're going to work just like all the rest of us slugs over here. We're working right. our asses off. We're going to make yeah. what we can make, so on and so forth. So she goes, no, I'm going to become, I'm going to get an HBO special. Okay. I said, no way you're getting an HBO. Said, Who's she kidding, getting an HBO special? Don't you know oh. it? She gets a HBO special. Wow. It and was and, like and the yeah, whole name. She's on the view. Yeah, so talk about cable TV. Yeah. We didn't have cable TV back in Brooklyn back in the day. Right. Long Island had it and maybe some parts. Long of Island was like the first one in the country to get it, right? One of the first, yeah. And there was like up north, like Westchester, I think, had it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, I think Manhattan got it before we got it in Brooklyn. Uh-huh. And so long and sort of short of it, we bought a satellite dish, the old metal dish. We yeah, put on I remember the roof these and freaking the, things. And that's, and that's how we, everybody got to watch uh, uh, Joy Behar on our HBO. So special. you got it just to watch her. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fucking awesome. So yeah. yeah, I remember that when uh, my my uncle Frank he had uh you know he bought this house and you know I guess it was old farm country in New Jersey in this town called Belmead like way Bell back Mere. in the day, huh? Belmere? No, Belmead. It's like okay. uh, I don't even know. Um, it, it's like somewhere in Central Jersey. I guess it's kind of close to Princeton, maybe okay. like maybe thirty minutes from Princeton. Anyway, yeah, but they didn't have the cable run, so he had like uh, you know, it looked like it belonged to NASA, the size yeah, of this freaking satellite dish. Crazy and crazy. You know, still he still lives in the same house to this day, and I remember. But this is all stuff from the eighties. They had the intercom system. You know, we used oh, yeah. to bug out. It was like so futuristic. It still Intercom, works. Right? Yeah, it was like you could call, uh, you know, up to the rooms. But my Aunt Janet, you know what I'm saying, old school Italian woman, she never used the thing. She'd be screaming, Kristen, Vanessa, get down, dinner. <laughs> like throughout the house. It was crazy. Hilarious. Yeah, good old days. So, good old days. What was it like, like as far as, you know, people talk about, um, you know, was the neighborhood dangerous at all? Like back no, in the day? No, that's a very good question. Yeah. I appreciate that question very much. I got to tell you, that neighborhood, first of all, we had everybody and everybody in that neighborhood. Okay. Uh -huh. And we'll get into that in a second. But uh, literally, I would park my car. I drove a 77 Cadillac Coupe de Ville at one time. I literally would leave the keys in the ignition in front of Creasy's and never have the doors locked. That car would be there. 
Mm. It was a sacred neighborhood. Nobody, we had no crime. Did we have a lot of influential type guys there? Yes. If you recall the movie, the Donnie Brasco movie. Sure. All right, Al Pacino played the famous part. Well, that movie is basically all those guys are from our neighborhood. Yeah, Lefty, Lefty Ruggiero, Sonny Black, Black, so yep. on and so forth. And He had a pigeon group. He did. Yeah. And, uh, in fact, they used to go to the Motion Lounge a lot. Jimmy's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy's had that. So, um, and that was Jimmy's place. That was Jimmy Nash's place. Got it. So I used to see them almost every day, every other day. And it's funny... Um, my other cousin, um, Michael Francis, he just uh, did an interview with uh, Joe Pistone, who was Donnie yeah, Brasco, yeah, the right. FBI agent. The FBI agent. It just aired on YouTube and some podcasts, you know, last couple, about a month ago. Yeah, Mikey's doing great with all the stuff he's doing. Yeah. He's really doing amazing. He's doing real good. And um, so it's funny, he's interviewing. <laughs> Joe Pistone and Joe Pistone. Yeah, we were in Creasy's having a restaurant, having dinner, and uh, me, Sonny, Lefty, blah, blah, blah. We had this problem talking about that. So Sonny says, I mean, uh, Michael says, Sonny's his father, may he rest in peace. Yeah. So uh, uh, Michael says, Creasy's. He goes, those are my cousins. Oh, that's your cousin, Mike. Yeah, he's my cousin. Oh, get out of here. Yeah. There are more cousins from Lowe. Well, your yeah. cousin's also the great and powerful uh, sensei, John, John Arena. John Arena well. from Vegas, Metro Pizza. Shout yeah. out to uh, John and, and Chris Decker. But anyway, um, so uh, I, you know, they're talking about, and you know, they're doing a podcast and they're talking about Creasy's. I know. How cool I'll, is that, yeah, right? It's, it's amazing. I, I used to see Joe Pistone, but I didn't know him as Joe Pistone. It was Donnie yeah. Brasco when he yeah, came Yeah, you know, Donnie Brasco. Then sure. it all came to, you know, we, we all learned about what happened. <laughs> right, right, right. So when when did, like, like so you're saying, like, when we're saying, like, Williamsburg was his safe, sacred neighborhood, are we talking about, like, boundary-wise, was it, like, Grand to Meeker and then from, like, yeah. you know, it was, like, the north side, the east. North east, side and, and the little east. Like, Union it ends and then Vanderbilt, like, something yeah, like I, that. Yeah, you're pretty damn spot on, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, North I know side, those are yeah. like the borders now where all the Italians yeah. love. You cross Meeker and it starts turning you know, into like and, uh, Polish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We never hung out. Nobody went to the... The only time I went to the Polish neighborhood off Meeker over there, we used the Citibank down there. When they did what? <laughs> Citibank was the bank Oh, we okay, used. okay. Yeah. But Grant Street, Grant Street Fish Market. Remember them guys? Yeah, man, uh, Eddie, and, Eddie and... Uh, what was his partner's name? Well, anyway, they, they sell a lot of fish and they do the French fries they're famous for. You're, you're, I know what you're talking about. Uh, right? <clears throat> Not Mr. Zolo's place. It's, um yeah, the other one down there. It's still there, no? I believe it yeah, is. Yeah, I haven't yeah, been yeah. out in a while. So they used to bring, they went to the Fulton Fish Market every day. Mm -hmm. When they left the Fulton Fish Market, their first stop into the Brooklyn, as soon as they came over the bridge, was the Crescies. They opened their truck up. Luigi Maiulio would go outside, look at what came in. I want this, I want that. If he didn't like what he's seen, he didn't take anything. But we used to get our fish delivered fresh every day. Do you remember, like, any of the pizzerias that were around back then? Yeah, well, we got my cousin's uh, San Marco. Oh, that's Sal. It. Sal well, Sal it's not really my cousin. cousin? Yeah, Sal's another cousin. Jesus. Well, he's a, he's a cousin. His Listen, father, he's a cousin. His father, Kono, well. Kono, yeah. Sal's a cousin through marriage. Okay. He married my cousin, uh, Lori Ariano. Who in the, one of those pictures, the old time pictures, that was her uncle, Sonny, that was behind the bar with my father and my two uncles. Get out of here. Yeah. It's so crazy how it's like yeah. all connected Actually, that, that, that's her uncle, Sonny Ariano. Wow. Yeah. So that's how the connection and is I know, with San Marco. I know, I know his 
granddaughter then. Yeah. 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 yeah Sal's gran- daughter. She, they yeah. run the place now. They, yep. they rent it out and everything. They yep. finally got somebody in there, thank God. Yeah, he's a really good kid. Uh, Primp and uh, polish, primped and polish, whatever it's called. They, he's a Long Island kid. Is he doing all right? Because I know the it, one it, guy they rented you know, it to, they had a problem with. I went there with my, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first guy was a problem. That was a pizzeria. This guy, he put it in like a wood-fired oven. He's a chef chef. He does uh, uh, tripe. He does uh, really amazing things. Me and my boy Cash from... Uh, um, he came, my boy Cash, he's like, he just won number one bartender in America. Shout out to Cash. He's got the haberdasher in San Jose, California. He came to visit me out here, and, you know, I was like, let me show you, you know, real Brooklyn. We hang out at Junior's, and then that place is oh, next Christ. door. And I knew the kid, and, you know, Cash, he still talks about it to this day. He's like, you should have seen this place, and the guys that came in, and ma, 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 ma. Um, they, make, they made the best Italian ices in that place. Yeah, oh, I don't yeah. know. I don't know what they ever did with that machine. Did you ever see the machine? It was right near the window the old, in the corner. Machine. We had yeah, this spout go down, and it was in the free. Uh, yeah, he made great chocolate ices were great over there. But we were going over there, and he was, you know, he was making amazing pastas with burrata. He oh, made now? he made one wow. of the best tripe dishes I've ever had in my life. And he's, you know, what I'm saying? He's making 110 percent hydration breads. He's doing some cool stuff, and like people, it's him and his wife, and. You know, I looked at the place where they went in, and I was like, ah, this guy from Long Island, he's a chefy chef. I don't know if this is going to last. It's a different thing in Brooklyn. Like, he might not. But him just being there and just, you know what I mean? Like, being like, hey, this is what stri- I do. It's all street traffic. It's all walking. It's no, no well, parking. Yeah, it's and no then parking you get to all. meet him. You get to meet the wife. He explains the dishes, and he built awesome. up a thing. My boy Kyle, who owns Hotel Chantel, he lives over by there. Um, it's one of his favorite places. No, it's amazing. Um so then, like, what? Well, well, now in Williamsburg, you have like the South Side, which is like mainly like uh, Dominican and Puerto Rican these days. And it always was, I think. It the was Puerto Ricans were the pretty much, yeah, the 60s, were pretty yeah. much there. Well, it was the Puerto Ricans were the older yeah. crew, and then the Dominicans started now, moving I, in know, the past I twenty yeah, years. I, when I moved out, I don't. I can't but was remember. that like you know you didn't cross a border? Like what was? You know what? We never went. Who had time? You know, you know, we were not. You know, everybody worked. You know, mm-hmm. I was in the restaurant. I used to when we then we finally moved out to Long Island, and so I used to drive to the restaurant. I used to leave at like eight o'clock in the morning, be at the restaurant by nine. Luigi was already there, starting, and my brothers would float in, da 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 da, and I'm there till two three in the morning, Mon- uh, Tuesday till Thursday, Friday Saturday nights. You didn't get out of there till four or five in the morning. Yeah. Sunday we went in at about eleven o'clock in the morning. And we opened only for lunch, and we did a light dinner, and we closed down at like ten o'clock. And it was, we were closed on Monday, so that was the only day I had. It almost seems like back then. All you knew was your business, <laughs> right? But like, even if you, even if you know what I'm saying, you were whatever. It almost seems like back then that you, you know, you had your places you went, you had your block, and you didn't really leave no, that. We like, went there. We went. We, uh, if we went out at night, you know, you want to have a few drinks or something like that. You went to Juniors, right? If you didn't go to Juniors, you went to Bamantes, right? That's what we did. And that was it. And yeah, that was pretty was, much it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's crazy, like, the real small microcosms that, um, you know, and how people used to operate. It's um, it's also interesting. I mean, Williamsburg, a lot of people don't know, like, to this day. Like, we've done some videos about it. But, like, I consider Williamsburg to be the strongest Italian community now in 2021. Still. Right. 
in all of New York because Bensonhurst not what it was. You know, these guys, they still live there. You still got the pork stores. You still got, right. and they're, they're the original guys in there. And, you know, while the neighborhood has changed a lot, you could still go to Fortunato's. You could still go to Bamonte's, the Giglio Feast. I mean, Every, right. They're close. Bro, right. I'm not from the neighborhood originally. You know like, it. I moved right. in. Well, I moved in and, you know. Fortunato's, Mario and his brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't no, get pastry like that anyway. No, you can't. You, you can't. That's the Mikey best. Is, that's the best espresso coffee in Fortunato's. Oh, don't even get me started. Let me bro. tell you something. Most, even some places in Italy, but yeah. definitely number one in, in America. And I've been all over. Well, one of the biggest problems, it pisses me off so much. So the the American baristas, you know, they have their own competitions and they have their own rules and blah, 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 blah. So what they did was, um, I, I forget the exact amount of grams, but it's like more than double. Nine grams is what's supposed to make an espresso. To one shot of espresso. Right. Nine grams whatever of Whatever the American. So if you go to American barista competition, it's more than double of in the group. Um, where if you go to Italian competition, it's like, you know what I mean? They have different rules. And the Americans, what they did was they kind of like, they got some smart guys. They got some scientists involved. And they said, what we're going to try to do is extract like the most, and I don't do this, I don't know a ton about it, so like, I'm sorry if I'm saying some of this wrong, no, but no, like, you're, extract. It's nothing's written it's in stone. Yeah, it's extract, the, well, their approach is, we wanna extract as much flavor, oils and tannins as humanly right. possible. Now. And try to get it without building up the caffeine. No, but they do. They, what right. do you mean try to get it well, because they're using he, young blondes so the less you roast it the more caffeine so they're not right. caffeine's it's not changed. in the equation okay with these guys so when you go to like a blue bottle or one of these hipster joints that they learn that method and you have an espresso first of all they're pulling doubles or they're singles and then on top of it you've got a blonder roast a lot of times and then the way the amount of you know coffee that they're putting in a pull Bro, it feels like you can't even function afterwards. And it's like, you got to understand this is like a medicinal product. This, caffeine's a drug. That place you took me around the corner, was that more of... No, that's the American style. It's yeah. like you you fucking jittery. I can't read. I can't well, do anything. listen, when I trained, I went to Italy uh, and I had a, a company in Florida, a distribution company. So I, I distributed Lavazza coffee and I distributed Bindi desserts. Okay. And a lot of other specialty high-end uh, frozen porcini, IQF uh, things, this, that, a lot of... Uh, truffle oils, truffles, caviar, and stuff like that. And when I was taught in Italy with Lavazza, it was nine grams of coffee, mm -hmm. okay, and it was and it was twenty one, twenty two seconds brewing, you know. Right. So, and that was supposed to be the perfect extraction. You had to have your your beans ground the proper way to get the ex perfect extraction. When you're looking at the crema, you got to see a, a little nice tan. And a little a little darker swirls in it, and then you pretty much got the perfect extraction of that particular coffee. But like you said, it's all changed, and it's all well. It's roasted changed. coffee has changed, and yeah, even Lavazza now has like uh, whole beans. They probably got s ten different whole beans now. Yeah, well, basically, what's happened is the Americans have kind of like taken it over, and from a barista sense, pretty much like every cafe that opens these days um is following those rules and i'm like looking at it like because it, it sucks because there's not a place over here that does and i've always thought about like obviously i'm not the guy to get into this uh i already got enough things on my plate i can't put anything more oh, you but can't do somebody no, no 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 i'm done <laughs> um i got enough but 
somebody out there, bro, like start doing what these Americans are doing with the marketing and the love and the passion and whatever else, but like from an Italian perspective, because I think, um, you know, there's something to that. Um, you know, it's a medicinal product. You don't want to feel like, I mean, if you drink, it's almost the equivalent of like taking an espresso from uh, Fortunato's and drinking six of them right after each other. That's like the caffeine equivalent in one pull, these guys. It's freaking crazy. All right, look, guys, we're going to be back. We need a word from our sponsors, and we will be right back. Five-minute break. Honey Bunches of Brady. All right, let me know when we're back on. We on? We are back on. We are back on. I don't see a picture of me. Okay, and we're back. So, uh, woo, woo. so what do you say? You got funny stories for me? What are you, tell uh, me a funny you know story. What I, I'll tell you, it's funny, but it's cute. Um, I'll tell you one story about my uncle, Cy. Tell me. Rest in peace. My father's brother, Cy. He was the middle one. And uh, he used a big Met fan, crazy Met fan. Okay. He, he lived for the New York Mets. I'm and a big gonna, Met fan too. I got the Mets on my. And arm. I'm gonna tell you. Remind me to tell you about the Keith Hernandez story. Okay. So anyway, Uncle Cy. So at the end of our bar, when you're walking into the dining room on the left, we had a, t- a TV in the corner. Mm-hmm. So Uncle Cy came to work every day with a suit and a bow tie. Okay. Spectacular dresser every day. Lived upstairs. Walked. He traveled. Long, took him two hours. To get to work. From upstairs, he walked downstairs. Came in. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, uh, he's, we used to watch the Met games all the time. And he used to sit there and he used to have, you know, we, used, we had linen and we had white napkins, linen sure. napkins. Stuff. So he would hold a napkin always on his, sh- on his arm like that. And this is when he got really old. And he, he had his glasses with like Coke bottles. He could, poor guy could hardly see. So he'd be sitting there watching the Met game. So one of the guys in the neighborhood, you might know him, we've heard of him, Patty Alaka. Okay. He lives right down the block from Fortunato's. I know the Alaco family. The, no, it's Alaka. Alaka. Vinny and, uh, and Patty. Vinny's a painter. I, a might, I might know him if I see him. Yeah, if you see him. Probably funny guy. He talks with a raspy voice. Yeah, yeah, a raspy yeah. voice. He talks, right? <laughs> Patty. So Patty, they're in the restaurant. It was like, I think it might have been a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon game. So it was not, not many people in the bar, you know? Hmm. What a restaurant. So, Sai's watching TV. Come on, come on, get a hit. You know, he's watching the game. Patty goes up, puts his arm behind the TV. Back then, the old TVs, you had the, you know, the little thing you turned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He turned it off and made the whole screen black. But the sound was still on. You know how you adjust the color? Right, 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 right. right. Things in the back of the TV? You don't know that, right? Yeah, no, I remember. (laughs) We had those when I was a kid, still. So he shut shut the whole TV off black, leave the sound on, and Cy used to sit there and watch and stay there and watch the game. We used to leave him there for a half hour, 45 minutes. (laughs) Because he couldn't see. He was just listening the whole time. Yeah, he's listening to it. It could have been on radio. So then we, then Patty or me or my brother or somebody or one of the customers would go, Cy, Cy, what are you doing? You're watching a Met game. What Met game? It's not on. <laughs> and he's tired. That's hilarious. So, oh um, God, what, you were saying before that, like uh, at some point, what, what was it? Your father moved out to Long Island. Yeah, we bought a house in Long Island. Okay, Long Island. Yeah. Where at? Where at? Uh, we Island? actually went out to Uniondale, Long Island, back in the day near the Nassau Coliseum. 
Okay. Yeah, that's where we moved. He built a house out there, and you know everybody wanted to leave Brooklyn. Everybody wanted to go out to the island. You know. Sure, sure, so, sure. You so. get the white picket fence. Yeah, you know, yeah. All the all the perfect life. family, all the suburban life, and all yeah. that stuff. Like you so. see on television. Yeah, yeah, it's on television only. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. No, so, I, 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 I would agree with that. Um, you know? But uh, in fact, uh, when Jim. Jimmy used to come. I'm going to tell you a story about Jimmy now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me. Okay. So Jimmy used to come in the afternoons about, he had a driver. His name was Booney. So Booney used to come into Creasy's in the afternoon. And probably like we used to shut down at four o'clock. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, 3.30 and open back up at five. Okay. Okay. So in that in downtime. Yeah, clean up everything. We clean up and the guys would, we would eat. Dinner for everybody. Would, Luigi would make a meal for everybody, so on and so forth. Family dinner. Right. So then Jimmy used to come in about that time because he lived in Manhattan uh-huh. on the east side. But uh, 50, I think about 52nd or 51st between 1st and 2nd or something like that. Yeah, beautiful oh, okay. home, elevator in there, gym, sauna, the whole nine yards. Nice. So uh, we Spoonie used to say, I, I'm going to go pick up Jimmy. You go pick up Jimmy. So uh, Sly so used to tell Jimmy, uh, Booney, ask Jimmy when he wants to eat. I'll have it ready when he gets here. So most of the time, you know, the older guys, they would have soup, you know, right. lendica, pasta chich, you know, pasta vajoli. You know, we had all different soups. Sure. So lendica with spinach, right? Yeah, what are these soups? Explain yeah, them to lentil me. Lentil soup. What's a lendica? Uh... Lendica is Italian for lentils. Yeah, yeah. So that's okay. what he's called, lendica. So that spinach, the lentils. Oh, he's and... be basically lentil soup. Or what you made with a with the prosciutto hocks or the skins and stuff. Well, there's right? a lot of people in the Midwest that don't know what you're talking about <laughs> right now. So that's what lentil soup was, and then they would add spinach in it or or escarole. Okay. Okay. Yeah, or yeah, a sure. pasta and pasta too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then pasta vajoli is just your regular cannellini bean soup, da 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 da, with some a little tomato base and right. again with the prosciutto bones, little tortellini, tatales, yeah. whatever you like, tupettis, some on so and uh, so that that was soup. So Jimmy used to come in. They used to sit at his table. He had a round table in the corner. Mm-hmm. No window near him. He sat in the corner. Right. So See if anybody's coming at him. Exactly. <laughs> Just like the movies. So anyway, uh, Cy used to say, I was in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So Cy was short, and we had a metal uh, stainless steel racks. We had the steam table. It was probably about 12 to 14 feet long. Mm-hmm. Okay? And we, there was a steam table. There was one shelf. Uh, up here, and then you had another shelf on top where we had the hot lamps. We used to serve the food. Right. So Cy was at the height where he was in between the, the bottom sh- thing and the shop shelf, so you could hardly see him. Right, the shelf was right like, across yeah, his yeah. face. So he used to come in with the napkin, his bow tie, and he used, to say, he used to call me Lewis. He goes, Lewis. I say, yeah, Uncle Cy, what do you need? He goes, Jimmy's coming. Make me two lentil soup, blendica with the chopper spinach. I said, okay, si, Uncle Sai, no problem. He walk out, he come back in, chop it up real fine, because you know Jimmy can't chew. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just what? but at the, you had to be there to really appreciate how how it what came was, out, like you know. What was he? Why would he say he couldn't chew? He didn't have teeth or something? No, or he had what? teeth. I don't know why he would say that. Like, I think it was, it was no, it was more that he couldn't chew. Oh Maybe his yeah, teeth, yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't Jimmy. You know, so, it wasn't Jimmy. I know, like um. Um, you know, John's family had the pizzeria in Long right. Island. Did you ever go out there? Yeah, it's Centurion Pizza off of Nassau Road in Garden City South. What was that about? So it was a basic, uh, regular good uh, pizzeria. Um, now, John, 
the way we're related, me and John, is, the, remember, let's go back to Sonny. Okay. The guy Sonny up there. Well, he had a brother, Vinny. Okay. Which is Sal, Sal from San Marco's father-in-law. Jesus. Okay, so John's, so out oh, there I am making Talia tell noodles fresh. That's my brother Peter in the back. Oh, wow. That's it. Every that. day. Every day. On the wood, on the wood butcher oh, yeah. block, too. Yep. Yeah. I'm studying no, it to be as far you know. You I, have to use yeah. a wood. I had hand uh, crank. My father would never let me get an electric motor. Right. Oh, my God. The time. I took, I made raviolis out off of that. I made everything off of that. Jesus. I, money got How these, old you know. are you there, you think? Oh, gosh. I'm probably... 21, 22 years old. Who's this? Is this what we're that's, looking for? No, that's uh, Jimmy Knapp again. That's Jimmy Knapp again. Here, come on, keep going, Brades. Come on, Brady, wake up over there. Let's go. Okay, here's uh, Sonny. So Sonny's brother Vinny is Sal from San Marco's father-in-law. Geraldine, Jerry, yeah, yeah, Sal's yeah. wife. Bro. And they're brothers. Okay. Vinny's wife and John Arena. That's okay. how John fits into the family through Vinny through Vinny's wife. Vinny's wife is is blood John. with John Arena. Okay, is blood with John Arena. Right. Okay. All right. We're gonna have so, to make like a family tree of all this. Oh I mean, all God. these it's podcasts. Crazy. You never would thought, right? It's it's so many people are connected that I'm like I'm I'm 95 percent sure that like if we do this like after six more months of doing this, we're gonna be able to create like a pretty accurate family tree right? of the history it's of crazy. New York style pizza and who's who, who learned from who, blah 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 blah. Yeah. So when do you? Were, did your family used to go to that day? Like, who opened it? His father, right? It must oh, have been. Well, John's father. Yeah, the yeah, John's, pizzeria. Yeah, Sant John's and father. And it was called Santori's. Centurion Pizza. Because I've seen pictures of John at Metro in Vegas, and he looks young. Like He's a he, stud, too, right? You see yeah, the build on yeah, him? Yeah, he's got the, almost, you know, he looks up. like a little bull, bull. Yeah. He looks like a little bull coming at but you. But when he, when he went there, um, really, him and Sam, his cousin, mm -hmm. his other cousin, went there I think went on vacation or something like that. And they didn't want to go back. They didn't want to go back home. Yeah, the story he kind of told me was like, yeah, they 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 went out there. They were like looking around. They're like, there's no pizzerias out yeah. there. We're gonna be freaking richer than uh, you know, what I'm saying, Mickey fruition. Mantle. And um, you know, we're gonna be. I mean, the way he tells the stories, he was like, yo, we 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 got this place. We had to sell the car. Yeah, actually they sold everything we pretty much. And he was like. You know, we, we we thought like in a year we'd be uh, sipping margaritas at the Flamingo by the poolside. And back then, didn't turn out like that. No, and back then when John went out there and, and Sam and they started and did all that, not many of us went went there. You right. Know, you know, it was it was a far trip back in the day. Sure. You know, you nobody went it. to Vegas. If you what went you to Vegas, it was a big deal. I remember we went one year with my father. We went to the Sands Hotel on behalf of Jimmy. We had beautiful. We seen uh, uh, Dean Martin and I seen the. Who's the comedian? Jimmy Durante, the old comedian okay. about the sins. And, and we had a great time. But to go out to Vegas was like a big deal. It was almost going like to Europe. You How know? Much, did it cost a lot on the planes back then? Because what was it? Wasn't it only like Pan Am was like the only airline? TWA, Pan Am or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 it was only nobody. And it was in the middle. It was in the desert. Da, 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 da. So nobody really went out there. When I started going out there a, a lot was because of business. When I And we'll talk about that down the road. 
is when I started attending the pizza expos and things sure. like that. So then I started going more and more and more because I'm not a big gambler, so it never was an attraction for me I'm, to really just get in a plane and go to Vegas. Yeah, I'm the same you exact know? way. The way I grew up, I mean, I grew up around so many like degenerated gamblers and like me you know too. my cousin Tommy. He would take me as a kid, and we'd go to the old cafes over at Betsy Graves and and you know you're sitting in a smoke filled basement on a Friday night, mind you. And, you know, I'm getting sent out to fetch more cigarettes because these guys are fucking chain smoking. And I'm like, I'm like, bro, I'm watching this guy dump $800. And I'm like, do you know the time we could have had in Manhattan? You know the night we could have had with $800 in the city? Like, are you out of your mind? You sat here and looked at a video machine. So I never like, you know, the first times I went to Vegas, first time I went, I was like, okay, I'm in Vegas. Let me see what this is about. Okay, how's this roulette thing work? Oh, you pick a color and you put some money. All right, no problem. I lost $60 in like, it felt like 45 seconds. And I was like, this is the dumbest thing. I could have been fucking wasted. And that's what I did. I went out to the fucking strip so, and I got so wasted. So every morning when I used to walk in the creches, this <clears throat> gentleman, great guy, Lucky. Okay. So Lucky used to be sitting near the phone booth. If you watch the movie and you see the phone booth that Danny, the phone that Danielle uses in the front window there. So Lucky used to sit at the bar every day. So all the waiters, when they came in, they used to come in and say good morning to Lucky. Mm -hmm. And they used to give all their action to Lucky. So the uh, our waiters back in the day, they probably were spending two to three hundred dollars a day just in gambling. Jesus Christ. But you back know, then too, you could then. buy a fucking house in a yeah. couple months. And then they, so they hit Lefty up, and then in the afternoon when Booney would before Booney would go out to see Jimmy, they go see Booney too, and Booney would take more action because mm. you had day races, you had horse races, all kinds of stuff going on. Sure, but but when they hit the numbers, like my cousin Armando, Armand, when he hit a number, he hit it for twenty five, thirty thousand. Right. But it was only every four or five years. <laughs> You're lucky. I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> we were mentioning Sal, so uh, I Sal, walk into uh, Sally Marco. Napkin, San Marco Pizza. Yeah, in I can tell you stories. So I uh, I that. walk into uh, it was a daytime. I walk into Juniors to get like a little, you know, this is back when I was day drinking like two times a week at least, and uh, I walk in to go get a drink, you know. And Sally's sitting there in the corner, and he goes, you know, forget about the pizza. It's all about the numbers. And he hit, and he's got, he's got to have, he's got three bricks, $10,000 bricks of cash. He's got one hanging out of his pocket. He's got a roll in his pocket. He goes, oh, we're all going out to Luger's. We jump in the car. We drive down there. You know, Sally's treated. He's handing everybody on the street $20 bills. Sally's a nut job. We call him Sally Napkins because... Sally, I never knew him as that. <laughs> Sally thinks that napkins are confetti. So when Sally uh, starts drinking, which is, you know, used to be a daily occurrence, he goes outside with a stack of napkins and starts throwing Going it up, up in the air. And if you go to the Gilio Fist to this day, you'll be able to catch, like, Sally napkins throwing napkins all over the freaking street. But um, he's got a brick, a $10,000 brick, and he's got these straight pockets on the last? jacket. Probably to the three days? Uh, I don't know. Probably, <laughs> yeah, of, of course. But, like, he's we're walking to Luger's, He's got this thing hanging out of his pocket. He's wearing a straight jacket with these straight things. So all you see the brick, half of the money, like coming out. And I'm worried. I'm like looking around. I'm like, who's going to try to hit us right now? You know what I mean? Because you're walking around you like that. You're thinking if that thing falls out, you're picking it up. Bro, the wrong <laughs> person freaking sees that, though. And it 
it's like, okay, this is, you know, let me grab a, you know, whatever. And, you know, this is worth it. But, uh, yeah. you know, thanks God it didn't happen. We had a great day at Luger's. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's what I think gets these degenerate gamblers sometimes is, like, seeing somebody that hits for 20, but you don't realize he's spending freaking 20 a year, like, to hit and the, once and every three is, years. And the weight is increasing back then in the, in the, in the so let's say, like, the late 70s and 80s, they were pulling in probably $25,000, a week. That doesn't even fucking make sense because you know, I'm thinking about the fact that It wasn't that like, a matter of how much the tab was. It was just a matter of the relationship with the customers. Yeah. Like we but, had uh, Bonnie Rizzo. I don't know if you remember Rizzo trucking on the north side. Oh, uh, no. It was no. a big trucking outfit. So Bonnie Rizzo used to come and eat lunch, uh, a mid late lunch, early dinner every day. He would come Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. His secretary, he would come in with her, his gumad. Mm-hmm. Okay, he lived in Valley Stream. And so he'd sit at a deuce along, uh, along the windows every day. And my cousin, Sonny, who we mentioned earlier in the bar there, was his waiter. Nobody else could wait on, on him. Okay. So Barney used to eat, him and his girl, and Sonny gave him the check. Pays the check. Goodbye. See you later, son, uh, Barney. Boom, boom, boom. Every day, he left my cousin a $100 bill as a tip. It's So it's not about what they ate or how much they ate worth. It's about relationships, you know, 100 waiters for each other and, and the customers of each other for 20, 30 years, 40 years. That's not, I mean, the thing that I'm talking about is that the fact that like, when you start thinking about them, when you start researching how much a home costs back then, it wasn't that much money. That neighborhood, they $12,000. I used to tell my yeah. father, so-and-so's house on the Conseil's for sale for 9,000, 11,000. Let's buy it. Let's buy it. Nah, we're not in a business. We're rest- We worry about the restaurant. We're around. I could own half of that neighborhood. You know what I mean right now? Imagine? I'd be with but Donald that's Trump. what I'm thinking about. These guys that... They were, um, you know, they're making all this money. They're spending all this money on gambling. Like each one of those waiters could own half the freaking neighborhood back then. And, it, you know, it sounds like, it, it, you know, it wasn't a bad place to be. It sounds like it was a safe place. It was you know very what I mean? safe. Nobody bothered us. Like yeah. I said earlier, nobody bothered. That neighborhood was the mint, a mint neighborhood. And, you know, we were talking earlier about Bensonhurst. Mm-hmm. Bensonhurst got all the glory of being the Italian neighborhood. Oh, you know, yeah. L&B, and Gardens, right. that, that, a few of these pastry shops and stuff like that. Well, growing up over Our there, neighborhood, I, didn't William, I didn't even know there were Italians in Williamsburg, and I grew we up were the hidden, away. We were the hidden secret. Yeah. We laid low. Nobody knew. Right. No, I know that. Like, when I first went over there, um, you know, when I got to know everybody, because I remember uh, I remember sitting in the cafe, John's Cafe on Avenue U, um, you know, that Johnny Marcello and Carmine all ran. And I remember when the, when the you know, Daily Post article came out that Mario had got, you know, arrested for yada, oh, yada, was, yada. Yeah. And I didn't really, I remember reading it. So you remember that? I remember I was wow. in a cafe in Bensonhurst reading that. I was probably 17 or 18 years old. And, um, and then when I, you know, met the Fortunato family or whatever, I like put two, I was like, I read this story. And, you know, by that time, Mario had already let go. He, he sued those guys. He got a lot of money for yeah, what they he, did to him. He's a great guy. I, to I him. took one of my coworkers there about a year and a half ago. And Mario happened to be there because the grandkid, uh, the son, what's his name? The, Bia- they're all named Biagio. Yeah. He, he kind of like runs and works now. So yeah, it's yeah. tough to get Mario there now. You know? Right. So, uh, you know, we introduced the Mario. He said, oh, my God, crazy. You know, 
So every time I put money up to pay him for a coffee stand at the bar, you know, he says, your money's no good here. Oh, and, yeah, I know. They're like that. And and my Joe, Joe Leonardi, who works for me, me back then, he would say, he got in the car, he goes, Lou, I can't believe the guy did that. How respected you are. I says, not me, it's my family. It's a little of everything. We were a local business like he is, and, and we all respected each other. We all helped each other, da-da-da. That's what it's all about. I know. That's what it's about for me. I'm like, you know, I, I mean, I love all that stuff. And it's, you know, I, I, I don't think I paid for a coffee at Fortunato's in maybe 10 years. But, you know, send a couple pies over. You know what I'm saying? One hand uh, washes I've done, the other. I've done more than enough. Now, do you remember the Galleria? No. On Metropolitan Avenue? You know what Napoli Bakery is? I know where Napoli Bakery is very well. well. Was, we order all of our bread from there. Okay. So that right next door to that, a little couple of stores was uh, the Galleria pastry shop which opened up after Fortunato's. Okay. So that was a little bit of a like- uh, A little beef. Absolutely. Yeah. That didn't go well. It was really not the way things should be done. You know? Right. It's like you opening up a pizza shop uh, on the next corner from San Marco. You know, we tried, guys always tried to keep their businesses a decent amount of, away from each other. Sure, sure, you know? sure, sure, sure. So actually they got pinched too. And again, one of the brothers there went to jail for longer than, you know, what, what did he do? Do you uh, remember? I don't remember you exactly. Know. It was something with uh, gambling or something like that. Something with gambling. Yeah, yeah that's what everybody did. I mean, yeah, Mario, I think, I'm pretty sure, I mean, and you could fucking just Google search Mario Fortunato find out for yourself, but um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that, I mean, he ended up suing the state, ended up suing the feds, and he yeah, got good, he yeah. got paid. So yeah. uh, another story I'll tell you uh, just about the neighborhood and how we respect each other's business sure. and so on and so forth. So, um Tadoni's was the deli. Okay. I don't know if you remember Tadoni's. I wasn't around for that. Okay. So where I'm talking on Metropolitan Avenue, across from like Napoli, mm -hmm. but like, you know where the dentist office is on, uh, on, uh, Metropolitan Avenue and Loma street. Sure. Like, you know where Jimmy T's office is? Yes. I know exactly where Jimmy right, T's office is. Right. So Tadoni's was there. Where Jimmy T's office right, is. Right, oh, right next door to it. Okay. So it was a deli, Italian deli. Oh, nice. And Georgie Tadoni and her brother Frank ran it. Right. So Georgie Tadoni used to get up at 3.34 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And she'd go downstairs. She lived in the building. She'd walk downstairs. And she would make fresh mozzarella. Okay. okay? So in Cree, she's about probably about 9, 9.30 in the afternoon. The phone would ring. It'd be Georgie. If me, if I picked up the phone, my brother, my father, whoever was there, picked up the phone. How many you need today, Louis? So I tell her, give me uh, 12, give me 15, give me 16, depending on what I knew I had to make. Right. So she would actually have one of the guys that worked there walk it over and bring it to us. Uh -huh. Then about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, that was just for lunch. 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, we get a phone call again, Georgie, how many you need? Uh, give me another 15, give me another 20, Friday, Saturday night, whatever. The guy come, deliver the fresh mozzarella. So we, so... She made fresh mozzarella. She used to smoke mozzarella in a garbage can in a little alley. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, the cold smoke, yeah. A little, a little alley there. She used to smoke the mozzarella. Something we used to get some smoke, too. Right. But just to show you how we all helped each other and worked for each other, you know. And she, she was such a, an elegant old lady. She got to be an old lady. Her hands, you shook her hands, she, she crushed your hands. Right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She's very, very religious Catholic. Uh, she, you went there to need a register. She had the candle lit all the time, you know, donations, da da da, mm -hmm. da. But what a, I mean, my brother just talked about her uh, Saturday night. We were out dinner and uh, 
we were talking about Georgie, how she used to bring the mozzarella. So, but think about the type of restaurant that we had, the quality of products that we had. We uh, had fresh mozzarella delivered twice a day. Yeah, but I mean, we get it. Uh, did did you ever go to Pecorero at all when you were growing up? No. Uh, right on Leonard Street. They've been there. It's no, like a garage. Okay. They've been making mozzarella there for. Leonard. Uh, it's Leonard and DeVoe. Oh, so well, that's where Patty lives off of DeVoe because you go on the other corner is Fortunato's. Right. If you go down the street, so they're right, right next How to I don't know that? where the library is. Well, it's a garage. Uh, the Tito's father started it. I don't know, forty years ago. Um, and or more, maybe I don't even know. They got like it doesn't even look like it's a business. They got this little worn out sign. And how I found out it was even a thing was um, this woman uh, that I know from the neighborhood that runs a real estate company, Annette Lamato. I I had passed by it because you know I'd be going to Fortunato's and be walking back to Metropolitan and I'd see it and it said you know Pecorero like tiny sign only uh. this big, and it would it's a garage and it would say Pecorero. Mozzarella and ricotta, and it had a number on it. So I went to Annette, and I was like, you know, oh, what? Did, have you ever seen that place on Leonard? Like, when when did that stop becoming a mozzarella place? It used to be a mozzarella place because I'm all into like the history yeah, yeah, of all yeah, these yeah. things. She goes, what are you talking about? They still are a mozzarella place. You would call there and get mozzarella. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Oh, so I go crazy. back, and this is, you know, I started Williamsburg Beats already. And now we had just opened the Lower East Side location. So now we got two locations. And when we, you know, we were, we were making the fresh mozzarella ourselves, but now we were expanded to a point where it was becoming like too much. So yeah, I got to meet Tito and Claudio and I was like, yeah, what's going on here? And it's like, yeah, my father started the thing, you know, we've been doing this. They actually just opened a really cool shop um, next door oh, wow. to it that's on the street, that's on the corner. Um, and they're doing Roman style pizza and they have all these amazing wow. Italian uh, products and whatever, wow. whatever. They make mozzarella in the window there. But um, yeah, they get the curd from upstate. They do it fresh every day. They wow. got like a little workforce in there. And no one really knows about it. It's I didn't freaking know about crazy. It, like know. Vinny Rotolo's been like breaking my calzone for, oh, for, really? send him for years. Well, no, he's like trying to like be like, how can we get this in Vegas so I can, you know, well, use it in a pizza shop? We could this and that. No, no, he knows how to make his own, but he's like, I want the Brooklyn mozzarella. Uh, Tito yeah, doesn't yeah. want to deal with it. Claudio doesn't want to deal with it. But, um, yeah, we were like, we were like, yo, if you can make this for us fresh every day, I mean, we'll buy a bunch of mozzarella from you. And that's how we've been doing it for probably like seven years. And, you know, we get um, all the meat from the butcher shops in the neighborhood. We get our bread from Napoli Bakery. So it's like, you yeah. know, I'm not from Williamsburg, but, but you know a lot about I, it. I felt well, I fell in love with it. And yeah. I mean, one of the things that happened was. Uh, you know, the Feast of Sabolino, the Giglio Feast. Mm -hmm. I saw that and I was like, how does it, the whole world know about this? This is a how real feast. How high is that statue? When so the statue is 20,000 pounds. Um, uh, it's about between 80, 90 and 100 feet tall. And, you know, these guys, look up um, Giglio yeah. Boy Deform, Boys. or no, look up Giglio Gilio, G-I-G-L-I-O, deformities. And then go into the image and you'll see like an image of a guy with like with a, with a like kind of like a camel bump on his shoulder. And then click on that picture and there's a bunch of pictures because some doctor studied it. So these guys, it's like kind of a, like a religious rite. So oh, they yeah. carry this thing around. Take it serious. But it gets, it makes you deformed. 
years and years well, of sure, doing it. Yeah. You get oh, this bump, it doesn't go away. Some Patty Alaka has that bump. Yeah. Patty Alaka so, well, for some, his whole time. Some of these guys, my boy Mikey over there, he just got his surgically removed, but it's already back from doing it like really? another year. Bro, it's freaking crazy. And, um, you know, you, you, it's the oldest feast in America. You know what I mean? Did you guys go to the thing? Well, like, we, we were open for business. So we, right. you know, I, I used to go like, again, show up. It was, it wasn't it was like, the, yeah. Yeah. And, and plus, you know, they walked right by Crecy's with it. Right. And, and they have the bands, the yeah, quest. And probably. then they had to be careful where they carried it. Cause if you think about Brooklyn and think about, uh, electrical wires, da da yeah. they had to really be careful where they went. They had to plan it out. Plan yeah. it all out. It was strategically planned. People think they just walk around with it, but no, it's, it, they know they map it out. They know where they're going. The feast is probably the, Better than San Gennaro. And, and, it's a million and, times better than San yeah, Gennaro. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No it's not even it. a question. No. I mean, I don't know what San Gennaro was back in the day, but you're watching 300 Italian men lift up a 100-foot-tall statue and dance it, and this is a tradition that goes back in Nola, to Nola, Italy, where it came from, to four. 483 AD. It's wow. over 1,500 years old in they, Italy. They did it for the what the history of it was. Well, all the all the most of the Italians that moved to that area of Williamsburg were from that general Nola, area. Out of Naples. Yeah, right. you, it's hard to find like Sicilian families in in Williamsburg. Yeah, there's like one or two. Yeah, that's not, there's one or two that moved out there for whatever reason. And once in a while, you run into like. Um, my buddy Giuseppe uh, Vitrelli, his wife is from, uh, I don't know, somewhere near Tuscany, something like that. But that's rare, you know? Here they are. Oh, there, there's the Julio boys. Right here. That's the old one. But look at these guys carrying it. No, go back. There you go. Yeah, bring it over. So did you look up Julio boy deformities? Yeah. So let me see. Is scroll down on the images. There should. Uh, yeah, what's going on, Brady? You need some practice. The Brady on this? bunch over here. What's going on? I'm not gonna chill out, bro. People are watching this thing, and you're ruining their you're ruining their viewing experience you're over here, Brady. Bring it up. <laughs> I wouldn't have to do this. I gotta. I gotta. All right, there you go on the left. Um. All right, you're getting there. Okay, and then just scroll down. Can you scroll down or no? And there's nothing. Let me see. You put deformities? No, so take out the feast part and take out the back part. Just Julio uh, deformities. Well, yeah, that's not good. I, trust me, it's not going to work. Deformities. I, I listen to you, man. Uh, all right, I we'll try again. Maybe you don't know what you're looking first. for. All and right. then this is what I get. All right, all right, let's see. Go down. Well, that, there's that there's a couple. Look, Julio surgical technique. But don't click is that on a that. Back, something with that's, no. that's literally all there is to it. No. Those are Let me go. Go down. That, that is down. Oh man. Oh man. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google this right now. Oh yeah. So yeah, I mean it's it's um you know the history then, is crazy. What's what else? The about. history of it is crazy. And then like I mean, even as far as the feast, so the Zolo family, uh so Mario Zolo owns Mario and Sons Butcher Shop. And then, um, you know, his nephew owns Metropolitan Fish Market, which is still there. Um, you know, they do the big fish thing, soft shell crabs out of control, the shrimp, the 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 raw bar. You know what I'm saying? They do all that. You don't see that at the you other don't festivals. See that at the Mulberry you know? Street. No and more. then the the guy who owns um, the lawyer guy that owns that um, Demonico's, what is it called? The steakhouse over on Leonard. 
up north. Is it Delmonico's, I think? I think it's Delmonico's. Yeah, yeah the, he runs this thing called uh, D D E E Best Calzone, right? Fried. Oh, they do the fried calzone. They've been doing that's it apparently. What, when I grew for up, years. that's all we had was fried calzones. I know, and it's it, you know, Gino Sibilo tried to do it over in Little Italy. It closed down in like six months. I think that was me and Fred were talking about that on his podcast. I think it's more because like, you know, these, these healthy way. No, Nobody these guys. No, nah, it's not that at all. It's these right. these guys from the other side. They hire Italian PR companies. They don't have somebody that can really articulate and explain what they're doing with pizza portfolio, these things. So it doesn't get the buzz it needs because it, you know, to open a place, especially something that's doing something different than people are used to, you have to create a lot of buzz. You have to like, you know, kind of like have somebody who understands what it is, but is born and raised over here and knows how to talk to his people because you know, they, you never heard about it from nothing. I know about it because I know Gino and all those guys, but, um, you know, it's a shame. Like you know, well, my grandmother used to make them. My grandmother comes from Parma, Italy, so they didn't. She didn't call them uh, calzones. They called them pizzelle. pizzelle. Pizzelle, and they were just little smaller ones. Same method, just deep fried. Wait, the pizzelli, They're like not the um, pizzelli cookies. Pizzelle. Okay, it's, it was just a round calzone, about that big, very small, not big like a pizza half a moon. And in 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 That's Chicago, I guess it comes from Puglia. I just uh, took a place they call it a uh, pensarotti. Pensarotti is another, yeah. That's the small, tiny ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? yeah. And those it's are deep all, fried yeah. too. I was it's almost like agnolotti, like you know, right. small like that. Yeah, I went to there. Yeah, the ones I saw were about this big. I I went to go visit uh, uh, Gino. Ma Did you see Gino? Did, where I go? Over there, uh, he get him there. I think he had the one time I was. Yeah, I, well, Gino has like some kind of frozen line that he does. But right. there was, um, I went to visit uh, Mark Iacono a couple of weeks ago. He's opening from um, uh, Lucali's. He's opening a he slice joint that, in yeah. the neighborhood. Yeah, but when I was walking down in Carroll Gardens, they had a place that was like a Puglia original Panzerotti, and it was a whole shop that just made Panzerottis. They happened to be closed that day, but okay. I was just like, oh, okay, this is cool. Um, so. What are you doing now, Lou? Oh, what do I do now? Let's I'll talk about you. how we knew each other. Well, I spent, oh, God, I went to, I was living in Florida. Mm -hmm. And I had a bunch of, I had about five, six, five different restaurants down there. Uh, I had a bistro, nice little Anthony's bistro, Italian bistro type place. I had a friend of mine who was a partner with me, uh, Antonio. Uh, he was in Sicily. Really cool. And, uh, and I had some pizzerias and things like that. So when I got out of those, I went to work for Fontanini. Okay. Uh, for Gene Fontanini. Fontanini is Italian meats and sausage company out of Chicago. They do the meatballs. They do the... We do the meatballs. We do all kinds of sausages, ropes, yep. bulk, pre-cooked toppings, sliced chunks, oh, every size of meatball from wedding soup to uh, eight ounce meatballs cooked. Uh, we do a, a pork and beef meatball. We do all types of other ethnical sausages like andouilles and uh, kielbasa's, and we do gyro meat, cones, pre-cooked, sliced. Uh, we do a lot of different things like that. So I went to Gene, hunted me down and, and wanted me to work for him uh, down in Florida and help him build the market in Florida. Kind of like street team. Yeah, stuff. go out yeah. there. We, you know, we sell to the distributors, distributors sell to the end users, and we make the end user calls, and we had a team of guys underneath so on and so forth. So I did that for quite a while with Gene, and we built up the Florida market really well. Now, Gene's family came into America in 19, oh, early, it was like 19, 
50 or 45. That yeah. My father came from Luca. Okay. Luca Second Italy. diaspora. Yeah. So in 1960, they op- the father opened, started making sausage mm-hmm. and a meatball mix. And he okay. was selling it door to door, you know, on a truck, da da da. And back then he. Wait, had- so it was just a meat mix with the eggs of the Parmesan? Yeah, and, and then he roll rolled it. them at the place. He pulled up to your restaurant, how many you want? And he rolled them up oh, right there. Oh, get out of here. That's, yeah, that's, that's how he crazy. did it back then. So um, long and short of it, and they built that business up tremendously. So, uh, and it was Yuri Fontanini, and, and Gene is, was the son, and Joanne was the daughter. So um, Gene seen a vision in the company. You know, so like I said, we built up Florida. And then, you know, he, him knowing that I'm from here in New mm-hmm. York, he said, listen, Lou, we don't have a hold on New York, really. He goes, you want to go back home? I said, I don't really want to go back, you know. But then my children, my son went to Seton Hall University from Florida. Okay. And he said when he graduated, he says, Dad, I'm not coming back to Florida. I'm going to stay, stay here because he, he stayed here and he, and, he, and he got a good relationship going on with my brother, my sister, their kids. They're married. They got kids. Right. So he has no family in Florida. So he seen he wanted to be you know, with the family. Then my daughter went to school, wanted to go to college, and she wanted to go to school in New York too. So oh. she wound up going to LIU Post. Okay. So she said the same thing. We're not going to, uh, I'm not going to come home. I'm going to stay here, blah, 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 blah. So uh, me and my wife are sitting in a house, 4,000 square feet in Florida in Windermere. You know, and my wife looks at me, what are we doing here all by ourselves? Do you want right. to go back? I said, it's funny you say that. Gene's been bugging me to go back. I called Gene up. I said, Gene, I'm ready to go back to New York. He goes, really? He goes, okay. Call up, do whatever you got to do. I'll tell Joanne, get a mover, do whatever you got to do. Just let me know when you're going to be there. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, I'm loaded, calling a mover. I'm loading the trucks. Boom, boom, boom. I come back to New York. So I came back to New York with Fontanini, and we kind of had to rebuild the sales force here. So I was a regional manager, and I handled the whole state of New York for Gene, from Long Island up to Buffalo, the whole kitchen caboodle. State of Connecticut and the whole state of New Jersey. So I had nine guys underneath me that we all worked together and built the business up together. So I had to revamp it all up, da 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 and uh, then, uh, you know, I've been in that this crazy other side of the food business that, you know, I know the, the restaurant side. Now I know the manufacturing side. Mm. So, you know, then every year we're at the Pizza Expo. I'm getting to meet all the guys, you know, you and this guy and Vinny and, and Gino and uh, so on and so forth. The list is so long. And it's just I have a passion for it all. And, you know, I mean, I've been in. A, a zillion, a million different pizzerias. I've seen everything from, we can't explain how they do it, to unbelievable type of pizzerias throughout the whole country. Um, <clears throat> and I had a distribution company also, but I don't have to go into all that. Yeah. So uh, then with Fontanini, we, we got the business going in New York like we should. So Fontanini, let me explain to you what Fontanini is. We're the, the meatball sausage guys. We're the number one protein company in that industry. And the, the pizza, pizza industry. industry. The yeah. pizza industry. When you look at the pizza industry, there's three key to me. And, and we have some argument with a couple others we could throw in there. But the staples of the business, when you go to Pizza Expo, you see the Fontanini booth is one of the biggest there. Mm-hmm. One of the busiest there. <clears throat> you go to Grande, one of the biggest booths, one yep. of the busiest there. And you see Stanislaus, mm-hmm. one of the biggest and busiest there, too. So those are kind of the three staples. There's, there's a few other companies that are dwindling right there with them. You know, Galbani's made a big move, Yeah, you know, into the industry. And, and 
And now uh, Orlando Foods, you yeah. know, a friend with Tati's very good friend, Caputo with the flour. Yeah, and you know, back then when I had a pizzeria in Florida, we didn't have no Caputo flour, double zero. Everybody did nah, no Trump's or this one or that well, one. Yeah, we just, we actually yeah. had him on the podcast that we were talking about. I mean, I didn't know any of this. He was like, bro, there was no uh, Caputo flour outside of Campania before 1995. Forget about America. And then it didn't come to America till uh, 2005. And then, you know. He told us like the whole story about uh, if you guys haven't heard that episode yet, go on tune in. But um, yeah, he told us a whole story about like how it got over here, and it was it was a crazy story. Um, yeah, so that really I, I think now with with Fred and what he's done with Caputo and also his Chow Tomato line, and you know they really upped the game. Yeah, yeah, I think you know, so pizza too. Pizza is, is is I think made a strong comeback. Uh, I think it had a little downslide in a while. Of course, there was a big. You know, let's face facts. When the Italians came to America, most of them, a lot of them opened pizzerias. That's what they knew best. Da, da, mm -hmm. Well, they learned it, and it was mainly when you went to a pizzeria, it was Italian-owned. Mm -hmm. Then when they got old and they retired, they worked so hard their whole lives, they didn't want their kids doing that same crazy business. A lot of so them So they tried it. to steer their children away mm -hmm. to go to college, get an education, go to work, come home clean, come home at a decent hour. That's a, that's a Joe Riggio story. Yeah. So... Uh, so, you know, that's, so I think a lot of Italians got out of it. And then you've seen a lot of the Albanians got in it. Some Russians got in. We're talking like Manhattan and stuff. And a lot of other people who aren't Italian. So I think there was a little low end of the pizza business. But now I think it's and like with everybody, a lot of the manufacturers now with all these nice products that we're coming out with have really upped the game. And pizza's like on top, I think, right now. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I mean, the quality. information's out there. We've scienced the fuck out of it. And using the science combined with like, you know, I think there's a little bit of a bridge that we still need to build where it's like bringing the tradition and like how things are done in with the science of it. But, you know, I think in the next few years we can accomplish that. But, I mean, it's, you know, I used to throw water, salt, uh, yeast, and you know, a bag of flour in the dough. And uh, like, that's what I knew how to do. That's what I was a little kid doing. And then, you know, when I started getting into, you know, studying artisanal bakers, like Chad, uh, uh, Chad, Chad, Jesus, Chad Robertson, Tartine bread guy. Um, and all these other things. And then, you know, everybody else going down that path and like really contributing and really coming together. And it's like, I, I mean, I just learned things from four months ago. I've been using pre-ferments and, you know, starters for 10 years. But now getting into bread and relying 100% on that instead of doing the mix. Now I feel like, you know, I was Bob Ross with yellow, blue, and red before on the thing. Now I feel like I got all the colors of the rainbow. And, I, I you know, the, the learning and the possibilities are literally endless. And we could bring, like... You know, through some of the research we've been doing, we figured out that, you know, when you do this longer fermented product and you're creating lactic acid, you're creating starch resistance, which Healthy. lowers the glycemic index of the food. It makes it a lot more digestible. So, you know, with all these diets where you hear the paleo diet and this and that, you can't eat any breads. Well, they're not 100% wrong. They're just generalizing it because most breads out there, even if they're coming from an old school bakery or this and that, it's not the fault of them. It's just how the industry went. Because when you when you just throw a handful of yeast in with the flour, it's raised so quick. It's not fermenting. You're not creating lactic acid. You're basically aerating it. You know, you just got a ton of farts going on. And like it, then the glycemic index, which is the, you know, it's going to uh, spike your blood sugar. 
And then if you're not working out like Floyd Mayweather and you got all the sugar going into you <laughs> like up. quick, yeah, then it's going to turn into fat. And then like, you know what I'm saying? So it's how many guys 30 years ago fermented use mother. A lot, a lot. Thirty but years then, ago, I well, I don't know about thirty years ago, but like I know when I talked now to some I of these, see a lot of it, a lot, yeah, yeah. But a lot of these guys, they were throwing beers in. But then what happened was when the kids took over, they were like, "You they don't were, need. Why are they doing this? Right. You don't and they need were making, they were making dough and using, making in the morning, using in the afternoon. One hundred percent bad. No fucking bueno. <laughs> no fucking bueno. Right. I mean, one of the things, and I don't know exactly, I mean, I definitely have like a ton of homework and a lot more people I got to talk to to really get to like the truth and the bottom of this and everything. But it's, it's almost like, I mean, one of the low points was when, you know, the New York chains started getting big, all the, you know, um, marketing from, you know, PMQ and Pizza Today magazine was dear like kind of geared towards um, this is what the big chains are doing and you guys all got to do that. Um, and then you had big chains in New York, like Familia and Abatinos and Pizza Plus and original, not original, famous, whatever, Rage, all yeah. the different garbage race places that How used many? to be everywhere. They're all fucking, a lot of them are gone, by the way. Um, God. Thanks freaking God. You know, shout out. We shout both out, said that at the same time. Yeah. We rehearse it. Shout out to uh, uh, Two Brothers Dollar Slices for knocking those fucking momos out of the thing. But those are the guys that brought like these buffalo, these quote unquote gourmet Buffalo chicken, barbecue chicken, salad, pizza, blah, 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 all this freaking nonsense with no attention to quality ingredients, with no attention to anything. And people saw that, little guys saw that, and they're like, well, they're doing good, and this must be what the people want, and you know what I mean? It went down that route, and now, thanks God, it's like coming back, you came know back what I'm saying, time. to reality, Absolutely. you know? Absolutely. I mean, it's come back big time, like, you guys are uh, So let me the finish the story. Yeah, 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 yeah tell me. Let me finish the story. With, yeah, so absolutely. Fontanini, so I worked with Gene for many, many years, uh, probably about, uh, it was almost four, yeah, 14 years. Mm -hmm. So... Um, it just got to be too much for Gene and his sister, and they grew a beautiful business. So they wound up selling the business. Uh, they wouldn't sell it to just anybody. Whoever they sold it to had to be a pristine company, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, they wouldn't sell it to a hedge fund company or so on. Because it was their last name. They're very proud of it. They're from Luca, Italy. Mm -hmm. You know that. You know how the Italians are so proud. So um, Hormel's approached him numerous times, and he turned them down. But then he finally decided, you know what? It's time to sell it and uh, move forward with their lives. Um, so they went back and forth with Hormel for a while, and Hormel wound up purchasing Fontanini. It was a little over four years ago. Okay. So um, <clears throat> Hormel took the entire Fontanini sales team under their wings. And when Hormel buys a company, and when they buy a company like they own Skippy Peanut Buddy, holy guacamole, we just purchased Planters Peanuts. So every type of company that they purchase is the top of its category. Right. They don't buy small companies to companies. They buy the best quality companies in our portfolio. If you look at 54 different companies. So uh, we got in, I got into the Hormel through that way, through Gene Fontanini. Um, great company, everything they told us. Usually when you see acquisitions, you know, they tell you a snowball story, so on and so forth. But I got to say, honestly, 110%, whatever Hormel told us they were going to do with us, they did with us. Right. So um, I got out of management and then they put, put me into a position as a senior market specialist. So I oversee the metro area and my entire team and help them and, and support that team 
with the knowledge that I have, people I know in the industry, so on and so forth. If it's product or helping them do food shows or making end user calls, I'm here and I assist and help the whole Metro team. But George Hormel was an interesting person. He started the business in Minnesota in 1891. Okay. Okay, and basically started as a pork company, hams, da 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 In the early 60s, uh, they hired a, a gentleman, his name was Leone. Okay. And if you remember, some of the people that might listen to this, they remember Leone pepperoni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's, that's how Hormel got into the pepperoni. Why did a ham company, American ham uh, company, get into pepperoni? They did a lot of business with prosciuttos. Okay. Okay. So back in the day, Hormel made a lot of prosciutto with the bone in, so on and so. They were making it domestically. Domestic. Okay. Yeah. It was it was great product, domestic product, phenomenal product. So once they got into that, they started getting into the Italian business a little bit, and then they started. They wanted to look for making a pepperoni. So um, that's what they did, and then they come out with the Hormel pepperoni, and they came out with performance pepperoni, and they came out with uh, Rosa Grande, which which is uh, what you're what that's we're like presently pushing thing, yeah. right now because it's kind of new to us, and it's basically when we talk about pizzerias, you know, 35 years ago, slicing their own pepperoni was a cup and char, mm-hmm. where the pepperoni would cup up, caramelize the edges a little bit, catch the oil in a little pocket, and get and all why the does it cut up? It's up. because it's a natural casing. Okay, because it's a. It's not a, It's like a sheep. Sheep. Yeah, sheepskin. Casing. Okay. Yeah. So it's not a. It's not a. That's how it cups up, and the flavor profiles, the dryness of the product, so on and so forth. We're the number one pepperoni company in the country. There's mm. nobody pick, pumps out more pepperoni than Hormel, and we, just to note, um, besides about five thousand items that we have. We also own the Hormel Deluso, the Genoa Salami, which is the number one, Gen- number one Genoa Salami in the metro area. Okay, you see that in all the delis. Right. And uh, we also just purchased, uh, right after we purchased Fontanini, they purchased Columbus Meats, which is a dry sausage company, artisanal I, company. I know Columbus Meats. Out of San Francisco. Yeah, I know Columbus. I see that at the, I buy that all the time at the grocery store. Great when products, I need, like, great you products. Know, when I'm having people over. What, um, so this guy, Leone, he, what did he, did he invent the pepperoni or well, well, how does this work? He, he was a, a pepperoni maker that <clears throat> okay. they hired. They in America. Hired in America. Yeah. Italian descent and so on and so forth, which in, in Italy, pepperoni is really not an item. Yeah, I don't know any you know, Italians was, who know what pepperoni is. Yeah, it's very strange. Especially the guys that we know with these, you know, the Neapolitan shops. They, I tell them, put pepperoni in that pizza, they want to shoot me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, they're throwing hot dogs and french fries and mayo on top of margaritas. <laughs> I see some of them are loosening up, though, because I've seen a couple of things on oh, Facebook. Oh, they're fucking you know, loosening you know, up, Some bro. of them are making Roman pizzas bro, now. The, the Italians now, <laughs> they're, they're trying to open them. Bro, I see guys who are operating, like, top-of-the-line places. Like, they're some of the most respected guys in the culinary world, and I see their Facebook stories, and they got a bag of McDonald's. We brought a bunch of the Konodo kids out here for my... Uh, when I won Chopped for my Chopped party, uh, Fred actually flew them out. I was like, yo, I want I want Carlos and Marco. I want this guy and this guy. Bro, these kids, besides Alfonso, you know where they wanted to go? We were like, oh, we're going to take you to eat. They're like, IHOP. I'm like, IHOP? What do you mean, IHOP? You want to go to IHOP? You know, IHOP. We yeah. want to go to IHOP. Yeah, That's crazy. all they wanted to eat. And I was like, I'll take you to a diner too. And they were like, no, 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 IHOP. I took them to the diner. Then they you were like, what? oh, this is like IHOP. A, f- a funny but- story. My, it's not to cut you short, but my father, when my cousins used to come from Italy 
and he used to come to the restaurant. And, you know, it'd be eight, ten of them, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Sure. So my father used to hate when they came. Right. Said, What's the matter? Why well, you always seem angry when they come? You'd be happy. They came from Italy. They want to see us. You know, they would sit down and eat. He used to get pissed off because they never eat pasta. Right. Okay? They, they, they wouldn't eat. They eat all steaks. Because yeah. they don't have steaks in Italy. Because they don't have steaks in Italy back then. <laughs> like you said, they don't have McDonald's. Well, now, we're now, like they everything, but. now they got everything. And now they got, I'm seeing these places on, there's a there's a great uh, Instagram page. It's huge. It's been going for years. Um, it's a real bridge to the other side to get to see what's going on. It's called Napoli Food Porn. And, um, you know, these guys are making like, they see what we do over here. And then they actually, you know, they have better ingredients. So what they end up creating when it's a burger or a sausage and pepper or a steak sandwich, it looks like something that doesn't even exist over here. Well, it'll have like a, um, what you would call a parata smashed on it or bechamel. And then they do this thing where like on the griddle, they'll have like, let's say they'll have like a broccoli rob and they'll have the burger meat, right? And then what they'll do is instead of putting the cheese on the burger meat, they put a little oil down and put the cheese right on the griddle so it caramelizes. And then, you know, then they'll put the bread on top of the whole thing. I'm looking at this stuff. I'm like, Jesus Christ, if these guys opened in America, people would be like, wow, this is like the new thing. Like, and, By you know. Way, I've seen that Sicilian made with the frame around it. Oh, with the halo. Halo, Mike's, you yeah, called yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. Nah, I didn't call it that. Mikey Vittorio called it that. And the that's halo? right, boys and girls. I know a lot of you guys are going to want to use that, and you fucking can, but make sure you give the credit. Yo, that's the Vittorio halo. Mike, Mike yeah. Mikey Vittorio's halo, the Mikey yes. B, his pizza acronym. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we were, we were. Uh, no, Mikey's amazing. I just got back from his house tonight. We were, I was staying at the, uh, the, you know, I had like my own little part of the house. Uh, I got to hang out with the girls. He's got a six and a 12 year old, adorable. We were making uh, pasta together, Gorgonali. We were making this thing, they're called like Cosetta, I think. It's like this weird stamp and you cut the pasta out and you stamp it. It, it goes back to oh, like wow. Ligoria and like well, the- look like an Orticata or something? Like an Um, Yeah, I don't know where they oh, are. No, no, right. no, no, no. It's like a, um, look up uh, pasta coins. They, it's like a coin. It goes back like when they have the noble courts. They would get like this thing. So whatever that maybe their symbol is. It looks like a coin. Yeah, yeah, it's a symbol of like whatever right. that house was. And then they would do ones with crosses and then yada, yada, yada. But, um, and I digress. So, so Hormel, they start making so, pepperonis. Yeah, and we became the number one. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah, so there it is. Yeah. Awesome. So you see, they're like these yeah, little coins. Yeah, that's cool. And Mike, Mikey's... Uh, you can do your family crest or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Right. You can do whatever you want. Mikey's mother-in-law, she's looking at me doing this, and she's like, she was so worried. She was like, this isn't going to work. These things are going to, like, curl up when we put them in well, the that's water. that's why I said, Orichetti, you would think they curl up. They don't. they don't. They don't. They just stay flat, I guess, because you're pressing them with that awesome. freaking stamp thing. No, it's crazy stuff. Um, so... You, yeah, totally. So, no, no, yeah, no. no. So, like I said, Hormel is uh, what a great company. Like, we have over 5,000 products that are very big on innovation. Right. Uh, with new products coming out here. Now, a lot of the pizzerias, restaurants throughout this country are, are up against labor problems, mm -hmm. labor issues. So, and, you know, with the pandemic and so on and so forth. So, we have a lot of prepared protein types items that have been very helpful to the uh, end users and pizzeria operators, so on and so forth. So, we're excited about that, and uh, like I said, because of the pandemic, there's a lot of issues with uh, 
making products and having people work and getting people to work. Yeah, stuff stuff happened at like the factories too, like even like getting the pork out of there. We the, was a lot just to wasted. tell you a fact, yeah. we were the only factory that wasn't shut down that does our type of business. Wow. Yeah. Really? During the pandemic, uh, Hormel went out 110% and protected their employees and, and the guys in the factory and the plant with, you know, keeping the distance, having all the proper equipment on them, so on and so forth. So we, we, we went through the whole time, not flawless. We had some little, you know, some guys got sick, so on and so forth, but nothing to the extent some other companies got closed down, you know, and not, you know, cause they couldn't get people to come work. They were all sick. Right. You know, so we did very well with that. You know? I mean, I remember Hormel. when I was a kid, like, um, and I mean, I guess, I guess it must've been a Hormel. Like when did they, cause I remember all the pepperonis used to curl up and they used to be that, like a little day. bit bigger. Yeah. Well, right. Because it was always, you, everybody bought back in the day, they, people, people bought the Rosa Grande sticks. Okay. And everybody sliced them. Right. So that's basically Prince street pizza. Well, okay, sure. slicing their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony Gemini slicing his own. Yeah. You know what it's like slicing pepperoni? I I, I've you. done it a lot. It's horrible. It's right? a horrible fucking right. ordeal. So natural casing. Maybe it's not gratifying. Natural casing, <laughs> right? Da 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 da. Then if you, this might be before your time, we still make it. It's called the yardstick, three foot longs. Okay. But we did that. In Those an are fatter though. No, no, oh, no. Not, okay. A little fatter than the Rosa Grande, yeah, okay. a little bit, but not like a performance and a bold same. So. The three-foot yardsticks used to get a case of that. It was like six sticks in a case. Right. And you have to, used to have to slice that. And that was an artificial casing to make it long okay. and big. So you wouldn't have all the all that hard work going back and forth with the little ones. Then they used to fall, not stand up. At least the yardsticks, you can cut them, stack three or four of them on the slice, and you pretty much hold them. They're going pretty even compared to holding those sticks. are always jumping around. And, you know, you can get cut and stuff. So... You know, we've had that, and then we came out. You know, it's a lot of different flavor profiles, different sizes, different count sizes. When you look at the pepperoni, how many slices per ounce, so on and so forth. So, we have something for everybody. Right. Whatever you're looking for in your pizzeria, we could accommodate and have a type of pepperoni for you. I I I I wonder, and I'd I'd really like to look into this, um, because like, it's. What I always say is that, you know, um, you know, and this is just from my, my memories, but uh -huh. I remember when I was a kid, when I first started in the pizzerias, they had pepperonis that were about that big, maybe, and they would curl up and they would have oil in them. And, and nobody in the market, like people started, you remember the napkins on the pizza and this yeah, and that? Yeah, because everybody's grease was bad. <laughs> but you're talking about flavor. this guy, Leone. I mean, was there even artificial casing when he was making them? There probably no. wasn't. No, I don't think there right? was. I, I, I mean, honestly could. I, you I'm couldn't guessing, tell me when, but, I, but I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine like artificial casings probably weren't even invented till no. the '80s or the '90s. It's a collagen. It's collagen. Right. Right. So, so um, yeah, it's 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 because you know, like I remember these like bigger pepperonis, whatever, whatever. I don't know. Well, a lot of guys, you know, we make the sandwich style pepperoni. Okay which is not the size of a Genoa salami, but a little smaller. Mm. You might be thinking of that. So a lot of guys, especially in the Midwest, they use the sandwich pepperoni, which is the wider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. There's wider. a few, uh, what is it? Principe makes a uh, bigger yeah, we, pepperoni like we make that. that. We make it also. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah that's There's a, a lot of guys out there to make it. Yeah. Um, right now, there happens to be a... Uh, a little bit of a shortage on pepperoni with the demand on pepperoni. Um, really? A couple of other companies are having some issues with pepperoni and put a burden on us and pulling a lot of inventory. So we're, we're in a little bit of an allocation uh, part of it. 
So hopefully we muscle through that because pepperoni is not something like making an Italian sausage. Mm -hmm. It takes time. So it's something that has to be air dried, hanged, so on and so forth. So you can't just say, okay, we're running short. Let's run it, you know, 24 seven and make a ton of it. Da, da, da. It doesn't work. You still got to air dry it. Yeah. You know, it's like Genoa salami. It's like, uh, you know, prosciutto. You got to dry prosciutto. it. Yeah, there's only so time. much. There's only so much space to air dry them, too. Uh, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, That's so, got to be an issue. So your back's against the wall when it comes to that. So when's the Rosa Grande um, product drop originally? How, when did it, what do you mean? Or drop? Like, when did it come out? It actually been out for a number of years. Okay. It just, make, it just made a big comeback now with what we said earlier with the pizzerias. You know, getting better with the double zero flour, you know, with Italian tomatoes more well, and more. It all kind of started side. with Prince Street. I mean, yeah, Prince, Street Prince Street was, was a driver. Up. That's I yeah, told you earlier. Big driver. You know, they were cutting their own and they couldn't cut it no more. You know, and right. they said they came to Hormel and, and uh, one of our colleagues, Jim Berkeley, who handles that account, you know, went to Hormel's executives and said, this is what we need, da, 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 da. And they went back and forth with some sampling and, and what they wanted, da, da, da. And we came up with, it. you know, it was the eight count. Which is the thickest? Uh, You're talking about the pre-cut, pre-cut pepperoni, right? Yeah, so where eight, it's a thin and the right. So eight count means it's eight pieces per ounce. Okay. Got okay. It. Then we do the other one, which is the twenty twenty-four. Uh -huh. So it's twenty to twenty-four pieces per ounce. Okay. Okay. So between that and that, yeah. and then like the guys mix that tip, out. Tip, typical pepperoni is fourteen sixteen. Okay. Okay. And one thing about Hormel, we don't private label anybody's product. Hmm. We only make our own product for our own. That's it. We don't private label because there's so much distribute distributors out there that do private label product. And what happens with private label product, a lot of the sales reps out there will tell you, oh, it's the same thing. It's the match to Hormel. Mm -hmm. Or it's, you, you own pizzerias your whole life. How many people come to you and say, oh, this cheese is the match to Grande? How Bro, many those people, people came get fired from Grande. People, Grande's fucking gangsters. Right. They how fired many Roma back in the day. How many people came to you and say, this is a match to Alto Cucina, 7-Eleven yeah, tomatoes? Those people, they take a walk. How many, match, how many matches to Fontanini meatballs? Right. Fontanini shave, slice sausage. There's no matches to any of those companies. Mm. Yeah. Nobody can match any of those companies. They're the best of the best. Right. And Hormel doesn't private label anybody. So if anybody's telling you Hormel makes that product, then it's... Not the truth. Got and it, you got buy it. a USDA number, tells all. Mm. Look up the USDA number, see who makes the product. So so what's kind of like, um, I mean, is there, I don't know a lot about it. I don't know how much, like, is, um, like, where does this stuff, like, kind of like, you know, you, you were talking about the air drying and everything like that. Is there anything else, like, maybe, like, I don't know, or people don't know about the product that's, you know what I'm no, saying? Not really. No, not really. It's a pork right. product, seasoned, yeah. dried, and hung, and done. Hung and done. Yeah, <laughs> secret Chinese. Secret yeah, I can't, I can't get into that. We can't get you. into it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, um, Hormel does an interesting thing when we raise our pigs, you know, uh, the humanely treated correctly. You know, we try to treat them as good as we can. We don't over pen them or anything like that because then they fight with each other. They, they eat each right. other. Da, da, da. Everything is calm, cool, and collective with Hormel. We treat them like almost a, per, uh, a people. So that's, that's, that's really good to know. Yeah. So, and because by doing that, when the, you, when you keep the pigs and I'm still learning about this, but when you keep the pigs more on the subtle side and not getting crazy with each other, they don't develop any uh, more more fat, so on and so forth. We have specks on our on our bellies and and the skin on the fat on the skin of the pigs, so on mm -hmm. and so forth. If they get into real technical stuff, 
that I'm still learning, but it's pretty unique and, and it's pretty interesting. Uh, we have a, in Minnesota, when we first went for training, when we were making a switchover, they brought us to the factory. It's a million square feet. Jesus Christ. A million square feet. Yeah. I can't even imagine how big that it, is. It's crazy. When we toured, they took us the whole day to tour that plant. And when you see the pigs coming in on the trucks, you know, on the back end of the building, you're looking down the road. And it's flat roads. Minnesota's flat. You know, right, it's the first right, time right. I've ever done Yeah, Midwest. Yeah, right. it's Austin, uh, Minnesota. And you look down there and you see tractor trailer, tractor trailer. You can't see the last one. Jesus Christ. That's that's uh, how many tractor trailers. I think they, we slaughter about, just in that facility, about 20, 22,000 a day. And did that ever get, like, gunked up during the pandemic? No, like we, I, we ran smooth, were, like I said. Yeah, we were, were the only legit. ones. Because yeah. I remember There were some companies, I don't want to mention other names. Yeah, 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 companies, sure, But there were companies that, that shut down, not by the government, but they had to because of they didn't have people because everybody got sick. Mm -hmm. you know? I remember, um, you know, when this was going on, just hearing stories about, like, you know, all these pigs just got had, got killed and buried and not processed and not brought to the market yeah, because you they... Still have to, you still have to use an ISM. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was crazy, and we were, you know, we were like, oh, God, where's the freaking pepperoni going to come from, and this and yeah. that. Like, I know a lot of and people were... It's starting to get like that again, because there's been some other issues with other companies, so... Uh, well, what's going on with, um, I mean, I mean, you guys are a domestic company, so does this, like, this... this we're actually shipping... a worldwide company, not well, many people think of... No, right, that, but you're, you know. you're, you're located but yeah, but domestically. But saying, like, pepperoni's all domestic, right? No, I'm saying, I'm saying like, uh, Hormel plants are in America. Yeah, well, we have some overseas, though. Right, but... You... We're a big spam guys, you right? So are you bringing products from overseas to no, the American market? Not that, not that I know of, and I'm not really into that All section. Right, so my question is, is that, um, so you guys aren't really affected by, um, you know, I've, I've been talking to some importers and the, the price of the uh, containers is going through. No, the that's all oh, crazy. And to a good point, you just made you remind me like swine flu uh, fever. Swine flu was a big threat and China had it like crazy. And for like a year and a half, two years, we thought that was going to come here. Mm -hmm. It would have affected all the hogs. Right. But we were lucky enough it didn't, you know, but like you said, the, um, we have we don't have anything I don't believe inbound. We have more outbound when it goes to right. overseas. Like we, you know, so those markets got to worry about it. But you yeah, know, but the the industry right now, you know, you're talking a container from Italy was costing about fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred. Mm -hmm. It's costing them, you know, forty five hundred to five thousand now. Yeah. They say it's going to get up to ten thousand. So you're going to see a big strain on on Italian products. And you know, we have friends that we mutual friends that bring a lot of product in 100% and you know I'm talking to one of my friends now he's he's calling me up he's he's he doesn't know what to do in the sense that a container is going to cost them $10,000 so you figure you know 2200 cases typically on a, on a container say like of olive oil you're looking at five dollars what five dollars a pop more expensive per case right yeah at least you yeah. know if I'm doing my math right so we don't know what's going to happen. You got to look at Italian tomatoes. You got to look at flour. You got to look at olive oils, balsamic yep. vinegars, the pasta. Mm -hmm. A guy's paying fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred to get a container of pasta here. Yeah, you paying ten grand, five grand. Yeah, it's gonna uh, it's gonna definitely affect the market real well. But with Hormel, we're not. 
Are you no, saying that, we're not going to really have to that, worry about that? That won't affect us. So where's the um, where's the short? You were saying you were mentioning pepperoni shortage and the air dry. Is that because the product's just moving so quick? It's, it's moving just so blow. fast. It, you blow it out and you have to just, you got to weight it up. So we allocate, you know, just say you're a distributor and you're buying XYZ pounds consistently. This might, we'll try to allocate that. So it's like we can't really bring on, I hate to say this, but it's like we, we it's very difficult to bring a new business now. Mm-hmm. Because we allocate it to the current customers. The current customers. Copy, you, try, copy. you try to do it as best you can. And is that is that mainly with the with the cup and char Rosa Grande or is no, it it's affecting the whole, everything? The whole thing. It's All affecting the, dry, everything, dry really. Product, even Deluso Genoa. Wow. So so how was um uh do you have any like how was the Rosa Grande like kind of like created? Was it you know, you saw like obviously they saw like a thing in the industry where they were like Well, I think it was when, when pizza started making a comeback again when we went to uh well, you know, that was our actually the traditional pepperoni was cup and char. Sure. Okay. Yeah, if you were so it kind of went away, like yeah, you said earlier, away. it was yep. oily on top of the pizza. You know, these yuppies. People were, people were bugging Health out. conscious, don't want it, da da da, cholesterol, mean, cholesterol. The Italian ladies, they were like, because yeah. they were reading the same stuff. They're Putting like, the oh, we got a napkins on yeah, the yeah. thing, you know. So everybody went to inexpensive pepperonis yep. and the flat that just laid flat there. Sure. So all the private label stuff, million different companies out there, all price stuff, looked orange, looked fatty, didn't, you know it. You've seen yep. them all, all right? 100%. I'm sure you bought certain distributors, product, private label. It was disgusting. Yep. So, so that that was a, a run for the for many years, and then, like I said, we said earlier with Prince Street coming, you know, and yeah, and it's it's not only Prince Street. There's a lot of others, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of well, there's a there's lot, a lot of, of nice hot uh, pizzerias from the Midwest now. Well, the Midwest yeah. never lost the cup and char pepperoni. They held well Buffalo too. But yeah, well Buffalo. Well, it's really it's the right, Rust Belt. Yeah. So it's the Rust Belt from Buffalo all right. the way across. Where if you went to Pittsburgh 10 years ago when there was no cup and char, or, or 20 years ago when there was no cup and char in New York, you went it was to Buffalo, still in was Buffalo, there. it was still right. in Pittsburgh, it right. was still right. all along that Rust Belt. It never left. That's off to my friends at Lenovo. Yep, that's it. Joey Tadaro. <laughs> the Tadaro family. The Tadaro's from Buffalo. So, uh... So yeah, but they I feel like they had like a smaller cup than we did. Yeah, you know what there's other there's other companies that make it, you know, you know the companies there's yeah. you know there's other companies yeah, yeah, that yeah, make it. other companies. You know, so they make everybody has their own little specialty thing knack to it they think. Yeah, but you know? it never what we're saying is like I mean the history as I know it is it never kind of left that never rust did. belt. It's no, not so the we Midwest, always made, we still made the product. We just, we just hopping on it. So we, we, we did a big advertising campaign, as you know, and you're aware of it because you worked for Home yes. you did a, you and Sheelan. Thanks for doing that. You guys yeah, did a great no job. With the oh, cup and crisp, the supermarket pepperoni. Yes, yes, yes. Which uh, is great. Like you can't, I right. can't tell you how happy my mother and my family is about that. They're <laughs> like, oh my God, we can buy this now and put in all this stuff. This is yeah. amazing. So it, it's really evolved and, and came back with mainly, I think, because of the quality of the pizzeria is coming back. What yeah. kind of what kind of marketing have you been into? I know you guys were at New York Pizza Festival when I was in, but do you got any like? Yeah, you well, know, we're going to be doing the uh, pizza. Uh, Expo yep. in Las Vegas in August. Hopefully, God willing, it goes off. I think this time it's going to hit. I think I, I think see, you're you right. Know, I don't see. Uh, a lot of people are saying, "Well, we don't think it's going to be busy," and then there's a lot of people saying, "No, we're going to get hammered." Mm. I'm 
10, I think we're going to get busy as heck because everybody wants to get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody wants, to wants to get out. And I mean, with the the vaccine at this point is, you know, I mean, how many are we up to? We got to be six, seven. We're, we're, New York here, we're less, less than 1% now. Less than 1% isn't yeah. vaccinated. No, that's gotten getting sick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But less I'm than saying, 1%. I think there's But been, we're like 35%, I think, vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, I I keep on vaccinated. Brady, get those numbers for me. The um, how many how much how many vaccine doses are distributed and the percentage? Because like, I hear these percentage like thirty five percent, and then I see on the then, news where it says uh, you know, it's like seven hundred million doses, and even if it's two shot, there's only three hundred fifty million people in America. But there's only one, a lot with one shot is. Huh? I think there's, when you look at the numbers, it's going to be a lot with just one shot so far. R okay, okay, okay. I so the second shot's like kind we'll of coming. Bring it up over yeah. the top. But we're excited about Pizza Rex, but we're going to be rolling out and doing our Happy Little Plants. Happy okay. Little Plants is a new um, label we developed with a plant-based pizza toppings. Okay. So we have an Italian crumbled pizza topping. We have a cheese uh, chorizo pizza topping, and we have pepperoni pizza topping. Um, these are all, uh, all vegan, pl plant-based. Um, okay. Right now, the Italian crumble and the uh, chorizo chunks are uh, vegan. Okay, gonna have the vegan label on it, and also uh, the pepperoni is not vegan yet. We're, we're redoing the formulation on the pepperoni. And once that's done to our likings, that will have the vegan uh, label on it also. So right. we're excited about the uh, happy little plants. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, so 37%, 42%. Okay, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. 20, 274 million doses. Um, Two million crazy. a day. Yeah, by the time we get into uh, August, it, you we know. should be clean. We should be ready to go. I think it's going to be super busy. Oh, I think it's going to be busy, too. And then too. It, right after that, we got the pizza pasta at Atlantic City. Yeah, what day is that? That's in October? October. Okay. October, I think. 16th, I believe, something like that. That's going to get, That's going to be fun. That's a, I mean, I was so happy when they brought that back because, you know, that was around when I first started going to shows. Right. They would have the Vegas and the AC. They got rid of the AC. And, you know, AC, I mean, it's not around the corner, but you know what I'm saying? Like I jump in the car, I take a nice little like Sunday, two hour drive to an half hour drive. I'm there. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, I think it's a really great location. I think we have, um, I think, I mean, I think it's been kind of squandered the opportunity. I mean, I want people to know for those who don't know out there because the numbers are kind of crazy. Um, you know, Lou over here, he's saying, he says he covers the metropolitan area, right? Right. And what a lot of people don't understand is that it's something like 60% of all the pizzerias, big chains, franchises, everything are located in that metropolitan area, along with 70% of all the independents out there. And now when you start adding like next door neighbor states like Rhode Island and Massachusetts and Maryland and PA to that list. Now the number goes up to like 75%, wow. maybe more. It's completely insane. I'm not pulling these numbers out of my ass. These are numbers that I get from, you know, PMQ magazine and these right. guys that actually have the, you know, the data and the censuses to know these, uh, information. It's completely insane that like, you know, the, how many are right here. And I mean, 
I see a big problem in the end. I've seen it since I've been going to expos where, like, besides Grande and Stanislaus, I say those are the big two, but probably you could add Fontanini easily to that list. But, like, really, it's Grande and Stanislaus. And they're, like you said, the biggest guys at those, two of the biggest guys on those uh, at the expo, along with Hormel and, you know, a couple other guys. Right. But their entire business model is based on New York and New Jersey. You know what I mean? That's that's They had street teams out here since the late 70s or the 80s. You know, I've heard the stories from the these Profacci's guys. The with Grande. Right. So, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of stories. You got any Grande uh, stories you can tell? I can't say those. Can't stories. say, can't say. All right. So, um, but, like, when I go to Pizza Expo, especially when you see, like, these newer companies that, like, they, uh, they're coming up with some solution. Um, whatever that solution may be. How many? And and they're like, there's been so many I've seen come and go. And you don't see in and the second year. And the, yeah, you don't. <laughs> and the whole business model is based on, well, if we get, you know, 5% of the pizza boxes or whatever it is, um, it, whether it's a spice packet or whatever it may be. But really what they're catering to is they're catering to the big chains and they're catering to the big four. Um, there's a lot of big chains out, out west because their idea is that like, you know, all those shops in New York, New Jersey, Long Island, Connecticut, you know, they're, they're one or two unit, um, you know, they don't have more than one or two units. Absolutely. They're independent. So let's just get in the big chains, uh, you know, because we make that one sale and it, and it turns into like a big prize. The reality of it is what ends up happening is now you don't have products that are 18 or 20 inches or 22 inches. You don't have solutions that work for us. And we're the biggest piece of the pie. You know what I mean? Well, they're looking at it one way. I'm looking at it like, yo, you guys are idiots. You guys are, are, you're alienated 75% of the entire pizzeria industry. You want to talk numbers. I don't hear hear that number being talked. You're talking about all the pizzerias in America and then your business plan is to go out to independents or to go out to big chains instead of going to the independents that make up 70% of the market. Didn't one of them just come out with a new product? There was something, oh, what the heck was it? I don't know. Something about the fl- double zero flower, maybe? We'll, we'll take, what is it? Uh, uh, the Nuvola or? No, somebody came out, one of the one of the chains came out with something new. Oh, uh, oh who the fuck knows what the hell they're doing? Um, those guys are momos. They they gotta they need uh yeah. If any of you momos need some consulting, give me a call. Nino Caniglio. I'll fucking yeah. cite you guys straight. You know I when know I lived when on. I lived in Orlando area, that's like the one of the capitals of franchise building mm. in the country because there's so many different people there. So they so what their the whole idea is that they're capturing uh some not like listen new york's the melting pot we have every nationality that walks through these streets every day but orlando has become that too right. so a lot of the startup and the chain businesses started there like darden restaurants is from there okay you know so a lot of big companies are, are from florida firehouse subs right right, right right you yeah, know yeah, just yeah. to name a couple and so they all seem to start there and branch out there because they feel if if the multiple of those different nationality type people like their product and the rest of the country should. But I, right. I beg to differ with that whole thing because I beg to when you, when you go and you go in Florida and you drive around, you see subways on every other corner. Yeah. Okay. You come, let's go to New York. Let's go hit the streets. Me and you in two hours time. Well, look, we find one or two. Yeah, bro. And the, the subways are going away too. Right. It's, you know, so, uh, how about pizza huts? Pizza Huts, you don't, it's hard to find in New York. There was, okay. there was actually one up the street in Ridgewood. It's out of business. Okay. And, the, and then, yeah. So, you know, 
Yeah, a lot New of York these, is independent. There's been a um, uh, a Papa John's on Grand Street in Williamsburg since I opened Williamsburg Pizza. Uh -huh. They've changed owners four times. Because what happens is when a Papa John's goes out of business, and this is the same story with not all, but like a lot of these um, uh, franchise places. They keep it in a circle. Well, no, corporate. So if you want to open a Papa John's franchise, let's say it costs you 600000 to open it, right? They'll put the the one that went out of business up for sale for a hundred thousand. So now you got guys that are like, oh, well, oh, I could go into this one, and I'm gonna do the right thing, and then they don't last, you know. So on the surface, people don't realize that it it went out of business. You know what right. I mean? I it always kind of like yeah. yeah, it looks like <coughs> people on the street. It looks like it was just there, and like people will be like. You know, how could a Papa John survive here? Well, the the truth is it doesn't. You know what I mean? Who's ordering Papa John's in New York? Not that many people. You, you know? go to a regular deli, you get a great a great hero. You get a great hero at all these um delis. Yeah, all these delis. Absolutely. No, it's really, really amazing. Yeah, I'll give you a perfect example of what I was talking about. You know those um plates that John Arena uses? They're like the pizza. Yeah. That that they have the little bubbles the on them. On it too. So, yeah, yeah, so that the, the it goes over what? You can't get that at 20 or 22 inches. So for a sliced pizzeria, right, we make pies 20, 22 inches um, in New York. Right. <laughs> now you can't get that. And now, so then you'll have guys that are making 18-inch slice pies, which isn't a slice pie anymore. You know what I mean? Right. But aren't a lot of guys also <clears throat> starting to use that rack? You know, the flat rack that sits up a little bit. Only because we have no choice. Yeah, that's what I'm you saying. You know what I'm saying? We have no options. We have nothing uh, being manufactured. I'm almost going to start going the way of Italy because if I look at these independent places in Italy, they open these tiny little shops and they find, I guess, they're like industrial engineers to manufacture custom products for them because they, they got no choice. Right, they're right, so right. small that, sure. you know. You know, talking about pizza boxes, I, before you were saying... Um, uh, a friend of mine was telling me yesterday that one of his good friends who, from Turkey, okay. they bring a lot of pizza boxes in from Turkey, mm. and they've been dominating the market for like the last three, four years, maybe really? five years, price-wise, so on and so forth. Right now, the guy's out of business, not bringing any pizza boxes here because of the freight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not out of business. He does, you know, regular boxes, right, too. Right, but he but wouldn't be able to compete in the market. He can't compete the in the market yep. now with the price of the containers yep. coming. So he's out of the pizza box business in America right now. Jesus Christ. And he was one of the prime guys in Turkey doing pizza boxes here. Yo, it's I can't believe it is so hard. You know, a lot of these paper companies, you can't even get them on the phone. They're like, fuck you. You know yeah, what I mean? Don't want to talk to you. I, I, I call paper companies because I need solutions for hero bags, for like different things going on. And these guys are like. You know what it is? You got to work your your distributor, whoever you use. Yeah. You got to get your distributor to get to your manufacturer rep. Like you would come to I, me. I have that. They have problems yeah, too. Like, like Anthony D'Souza over there in Colorado. Mm -hmm. it was the last week or week before he calls me up. He mm -hmm. texts, he sends me a thing on Facebook first. And when can I give you a call? I said, call me anytime, Anthony. Don't worry, because yeah, you yeah, get a time yeah. change, you know? Sure. He calls me up. There's a little issue. He's not my, I don't handle Anthony. I know him because of the little cir right, right, circle, right, right, how right. big it's gotten, right? Yeah, he was making pizza at my he booth was, in the New York Pizza Festival. At your booth at the Pizza Festival, right. Yeah. So, oh, you know, I took care of the guy. I took care of it. So, for the paper problems, you got to have your distributor get the paper manufacturer's rep in the, your building and talk to him. And that's how you got to move it forward. Right. If it works, it works, but it should. 
if the manufacturer rep like what I am and my other colleagues are, we get we figured a solution out. Do you have any things that you see like in the business as a business insider that like maybe you think could be done better or like something that would like, you know, if we changed it, it would uh, be beneficial for the community and the industry? What could be better? <sighs> quality could always be <laughs> Quality could always be better. You know? Quality uh, could always freshness, be better. I mean, I could, I mean, I mean, I mean, gosh, I don't know where to even start, I'll be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. There's yeah, so I many mean, things. Things yeah. are definitely getting better as far as, I mean, I remember buying a POS was like, they were telling you, the first POS we bought for Williamsburg, they were telling me, oh, it does driver tracking and all these things. Then you pay them the money, the POS shows up. I'm like, where are all these things you promised me on here? I can't find them. You didn't no, sign up for that. No, they're like, we're still in beta testing. We don't have, I'm like, well, on your freaking literature, it says you had it. Like, that's why I bought the freaking system, you momos. Yeah, those. I remember I bought my first system in a restaurant I had in Florida. It cost me like twenty seven thousand. That's what they were. Big screens. Not that long ago. Yeah. Oh Not at buying the little iPads, right? Bro, they they don't cost anything. They cost like a grand or two, and they have yeah. like the best software and all yeah. this stuff. Or I always found that the POS if it could really manage your business good if you if you used it. If you know how to use it, and now the technology is getting good, where we could just drop in Excel spreadsheets right into Excel. Yeah. yeah. Um, we just got like a really crazy thing. It's it's a it's a full color touchscreen expediter that hangs on like an arm like this, like kind of like a TV arm, over the pizza station. So when the orders come in, it has the time on it. Yeah. It has all the stuff. And it hangs the ticket. You light. don't. No, you don't need a ticket. That's the what I'm saying. It's on the screen. Yeah, it looks on the screen. Yeah. yeah, you just look. You're like, okay, large pie, half pepperoni. Bang yeah. it out. Now, when you're done, when you put it in the oven, you swipe the thing to the left, and then it, it goes to another screen at the expedited thing, and the, like you're yeah. done with that. You know, you're talking about what what what's what, what the industry could, how we can get better. You know what I think is a major problem is getting the quality help. Mm. Not only getting the help, how many good pizzaiolas are out there? How many young guys at 18 years old want to make pizzas or work in a pizza shop? Well, you know, yeah. they're all on their computers. They're all on their cell phones. They're all doing something on the computer. You know, you know, when you look at, the, you know, uh, the service industry in this country, when you look at plumbers, electricians, uh, uh, HVAC guys, tin knockers, you know, construction guys. They make a lot of money. They make, these they make days. bank, but there they ain't a lot a of kids. Now. A lot of kids they ain't want to get their hands dirty anymore. I think I think you're gonna start seeing changes in that just for the fact that like once you realize that you can be an HVAC guy making 150 plus a year or an electrician making I got electrician friends that quit the union, uh, started their own thing. These guys are making fucking half a million dollars a no, year. No question. No yeah. question. You can't get so, one of these guys. Where are you gonna get a pizza guy though? Well, <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you something. A guy that, picks up a knife. I could tell you in ten minutes if he's gonna be good. Well, here's here's what you don't have anymore. And I'll tell you the 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 one thing that I really respect these guys for, and I think everybody should emulate them. So these new people, like. Um, you know, I call them like the hipster pizzerias, the hipster Neapolitan. So you got, you know, Roberta's, Ops, Paulie G's, you know what I'm saying? All those style places, Speedy Romeo's, whatever, like, you know. So um, what those guys did is, so traditionally in a pizzeria, unless it's like somebody who's your family or something like that, or somebody that you know, you put out an ad, you're expecting a guy to show up that knows how to make pizza. These guys... And and this goes and this is happening all around the country because you know you have all these markets where there isn't pizza makers. Like once you get out of New York and you're in North Carolina, there isn't pizza makers really. So 
what these guys did was they set up systems and programs where, I mean, I applied for Paulie G's before we uh, opened Williamsburg Pizza, and he wouldn't hire me because I had been making pizza for 12 years. Because he wanted it done his way. No, it's not because his way. It's because they have a system in there where everybody learns from scratch. Okay. And that's just, it sucks, but that's just, it's going to be the way of the world. Well, I mean, there's no other way around it. You're going to have to teach people with programs from scratch. You're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to throw away, you know, because if you take a bag of uh, cheap flour costs like 16 bucks, all right, around $17, $18, whatever it is. Each bag of flour, let's say you do uh, 16-inch balls out of it, you're talking about around 75 count, right? Okay. So for 100 bucks, I can have a guy making 750 stretches, 700 pizzas, right? And I got to train an employee after that if I implement the right. system well. But that's exactly what it's going to be. But you're 100% right. Now, what I would love to see that I don't see out of these guys generally, I'm not talking about everybody, obviously, there's exceptions, but... A lot of these places come from guys who are actually really, really smart when it comes to fermentation techniques and knowing the science behind it and all these different things. But they never worked at like a like a real pizzeria. They never worked at like, you know, an old school pizzeria where like the Friday rush comes in and you got a bang. And there's a way people do things, even in Naples with like the slap and this and that. Oh. And where they're Friday night banging out 150 pies. Yeah. Well, <laughs> these guys can make one of the best pies you ever had. But look at them when they're in the Under weeds. pressure. They, they, because the way they stretch over the hands and all these different things. And it's just like, I want to, I'd really like to see in the future programs be created where like people are learning the, the, the way we used to do things, which turns out to be the most efficient way. There's a reason for it. But don't you think, you know, don't you think like a Neapolitan guy, you know, basically they're only making a 12 inch. Mm -hmm. Okay. You typically at Williamsburg on a Friday night, what's your lodge pie, 18 or 20? 18. Okay. You got a little more work than a guy making a 12. To me, the 12 stretches, boom, you're done. 18, right. you got you to gotta, you gotta work a little more. I mean, yeah. you're going to do it faster because it's Friday night and, you, and you're banged up. But well, we have completely different stretching techniques right. because you know of saying? the size so of I the think dough. It's right. You know it's what I mean? Like, you can't do the way that you stretch a New York pie, you can't do to a Neapolitan pie right. because your hands are bigger, bigger. than the freaking dough is. And you're trying to keep the air and in you there. Can't, and right? it's hard to do. It's not efficient to do uh, the slap with a big pie because it's so big that you're not opening up. Like I've seen like McKellie and different guys that came from Neapolitan background doing it, but I can make pizza my way 10 times faster. I can't than wait them. to see these guys. I haven't seen McKellie. Yeah. Like, I haven't yeah. seen anybody in so long. It's going to be so amazing. Shout yeah. out to Pizza Expo. Sponsor to the podcast what's going on guys all right how long has this been we are we at the three hour mark we are at 227 mom all right i think it's uh wrap it up let's wrap it up well lou amazing stories thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate you i love chatting with you listen we're gonna have we gotta have we're gonna do a lot of good things together we are gonna do a lot of good things together we want to have you back soon we're gonna tell some more stories but for now we will see all you momos and momo later Love you guys. Ciao. Ciao. Oh, it's good. Ah. Woo! Woo.